Hi, my name is Anouk Fussel. I'm co-director of Turbo Kid and Summer of 84. And you're listening to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. Welcome to Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. We have a bi-weekly show that's released every other Friday, and this is episode 140. This is another Frankensteinian episode where we bring you a variety of random horror movie reviews and discussion. But for this show, we're also celebrating Women in Horror Month. And typically on this show, you hear in-depth horror movie reviews for new releases with ratings and recommendations to help you decide whether you should buy, rent, or avoid these movies. And I am your host, Jay of the Dead, podcasting from Salt Lake City. And my co-hosts tonight are... Dave Dr. Shockbacker from just outside Philadelphia, PA. And Wolfman Josh and Jay, I'm not your final girl. (laughs) It's great to be back. I feel like I'm home again. I hated missing last time because as you know, Frankensteinian shows are some of my favorites. But the good news was the reason I missed, I had a legitimate reason. I recently got a promotion at work, which was really nice, but I've had to work uh, more hours. And, you know, one of those things went down at work and they're like, hey, you got to work tonight, basically. So that was kind of a bummer. It was a mixed bag, but I'm, I'm grateful. You guys did a fantastic job. I love that episode. And um, and Josh, you made me so happy. You told Adam Green that I'm I'm the world's biggest fan of Frozen. That's yeah. that's true. Nice. That's yeah. true. And we got so much positive feedback from that episode. It might be our all time biggest positive feedback episode. Like at least in my experience. I don't know how, how the email side of things goes, but mm-hmm. people love Adam Green. Yeah, you know, and they really enjoyed his interview. And we had some extremely touching stories come through, people telling about their own personal experiences and how the Adam Green interview spoke to them. And, you know, I read Cap Jack, for instance, who I quoted a couple of times on the show. He said he was like bawling through that interview, listening to the podcast. We had another guy who I talked about on the last episode, John from the Movies, Films and Flicks podcast. Mm -hmm. And he also does John's Horror Corner so he always writes us from the bug lab, sends us a tweet and says, listening now from the bug lab when he's listening. I don't know if he's mm-hmm. an entomologist or what's going on there, yes. but he'll oftentimes send us a tweet at the beginning of his listening, along with a photograph of some bugs, <laughs> you know, that he's looking at. It's super cool. And, yeah. And he did do that this morning that we posted the show. And then a couple hours later, this is so oh, heartbreaking at 2.28 PM, John tweeted, wow, that interview with Adam Green was soulful. Halfway through listening to this episode, pausing here, and since I'm at work, I got a call that my mother had passed, really, at 11.30 a.m. I kept listening for a much-needed diversion, and that interview somehow helped me. Mm -hmm. I mean, that is incredible, you know, to be even a small distraction from someone who's going through such a difficult time. And I think, Adam, just his words were inspiring, you know? Yeah. He yeah. talked about being at his low point and coming out of it. But John was also very gracious. He said, um, regardless of my times, high or low, your podcast often adds smiles. And 
that's the kind of thing that makes this all worth doing, to be honest, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. and our condolences to him. Absolutely. John. And we, of course we send him our condolences privately, yeah. but yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, sorry for your loss, John. And I hope you're doing well. Yeah. We're, we're grateful to John for just being so open and sharing that with us. That was remarkable. And, and yeah, I was also, I mean, speaking of Adam green in that interview, I was just taken back by how honest, like how much candor he had. Like when he's talking about, mm-hmm. you know, his fears about never having children and, and about pirating of films and, um, Man, I mean, I was I was genuinely impressed because I've heard him, you know, on his show, on his podcast a lot. And, you know, he's a funny guy and, and, and so forth. And so I, I guess I didn't expect that side of him. So I was very impressed with that interview. So it's great. Yeah, it was great. And, yeah, we had a lot of a lot of people tell us they went out and bought his films after hearing the interview, just liking him so much. So that was, mm-hmm. that was also interesting. Yeah, that's awesome. And I, I also loved his take when he said that um, when you asked him about comedy horror and he says, yeah. you got to keep the comedy away from the monster because once the monster becomes comical, then it's over. And I thought that was a very insightful and a great point. Yeah, so. absolutely. I also like this point, Jay, when he said, what do you not, do you not like ice cream? Yeah, <laughs> I, I, know. I was just imagining you saying <laughs> there, well, I do like ice cream. Well, in, in my rebuttal, <laughs> it, you know, it's too bad I wasn't on there. It, not that I, you know, I'm just saying, because my rebuttal was I love ice cream and I love like peanut butter, but I wouldn't put peanut butter on my ice cream, for example. Oh man, you're not my wife. She gets uh Reese's peanut butter oh, yeah. milkshakes like every other day. Oh, really? Yeah. Well, I'm, yeah. So, or jelly or whatever, what have you, you know. <laughs> to, you, I don't know of anybody who put jelly on their ice cream. That's gross. That's what I'm saying. That's that's kind of what comedy horror is to me. But That's kind of his point, yeah. Yes. Okay, I see. Okay, but uh, all right. So, <laughs> so, in other words, you're, you're, you're granting that people do like peanut butter and ice cream, which is your original analogy. Yeah, but nobody like actually scoops Jif out of the jar and flops it onto their ice cream. It's usually some kind of peanut butter version, you know, that's made in the factory, like in peanut butter cups or something like that. Okay. Anyways. Well, All we right, digress. Right. Yes, we do. We, <laughs> so in other words, you're saying comedy is just sort of, of crowbarred into horror is what you're saying. No, I'm saying it's like jelly is yummy and ice cream is yummy, but I don't need them together. Just saying. <laughs> no. I mean, you know, <laughs> pickles are yummy and chocolate's yummy, but I wouldn't eat them together either. I mean, I, there you go. Comedy horror. Pickles and chocolate. And oh, so anything, two things that don't go together for you are comedy and horror. Okay. There you go. Dave, you're getting it. I feel like you're you're following. I I think I just had a eureka moment there. (laughs) I think I finally got it. (laughs) So this is the horror movie podcast cooking show. We've given you a few recipe ideas. (sighs) Anyways, guys, it's Women in Horror Month. This is remarkable. Um, Do you happen to know, because I, I... I feel pretty ignorant in this regard, but do you happen to know when this, this whole uh, thing began? When did we begin celebrating women in horror month in February? Well, you know, I think I'm not sure, but I think this is the ninth year that they've done it. And my only reason that I think that's true is because on Twitter, the hashtag they use is, you know, W I H nine or whatever. So, okay. um, that's my understanding. That's good. There is there is a um a, a if you go out to womeninhorrormonth.com, I'm pretty sure that they say it's the ninth uh ninth annual. 
Yeah, the ninth annual Women in Horror Month 2018. Yes, that's great. Okay, I will say I reached out to the Women in Horror Month Twitter account and said, "Would anyone from your camp like to come on the show tonight and discuss it?" And they retweeted us, but didn't respond. So I don't know what that means. You know, I'm not sure exactly. (laughs) Might have been been a little bit of late notice, but yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, but but just so the listeners know, so they're not like. Hey guys, way to celebrate Women in Horror Month with not having any female guests on your show. Three you know? dudes <laughs> talking about women in horror. <laughs> yeah, because you know we have a perspective. Yeah, right. Um, right. No, I, I actually i I think it's very exciting that there is like a whole women in horror recognition or movement because it's it's interesting because many years, I mean, decades and decades of this genre has actually been exploitative to women, right? So. Oh, definitely. So, yep. so I'm very interested in in hearing more, like, thought about that. Like, is the women, and maybe you guys aren't able to speak about this, but do you happen to know, does the woman in, women in horror movement, like, is it largely a critique of how, like, women are always objectified and, and, and so forth, or... Or is it like? I think cele- it's more about showing women who are excelling in the field of horror. Yeah, and I think strong it's a celebration. Filmmaker. Okay, right. It's more of a celebration, I think. Oh, that's great. Yeah, I figured it was like you know upbeat, of course, and recognizing and celebrating. But like for example, I didn't know if like you know they were you know championing like films that have the final girl you know, vic- victorious in the end, or like, you know, f- specifically films like Teeth, you know, like t- like films that are inherently... Feminist films. Yeah, feminist. Yeah, exactly. So I, I just wondered, as you can tell, I, I don't know a lot about it, but I think it's fascinating. Well, there's a website and a Twitter feed that I follow, um, Graveyard Shift Sisters, and they think they're always fun this time of year. I mentioned them last year because... It is Women in Horror Month, as as we've mentioned. It's also Black History Month, and so uh, uh, Graveyard Shift Sisters they talk they do Black female horror cinema, and so this month is the perfect time to really dig into um, what they have to say. And they they do a lot of great articles. Just some that I was noticing over the last few days. I was going to mention that I'd recommend. They have an article here: twenty eight Black women horror filmmakers, and it's got their bios, tells all about them, their films. Um, their Instagram and Vimeo and Facebook pages. And so it's, it's really cool. You can read about them, see what they've made and, and con- connect with them online. Um, they also had an article here that is kind of more what you were saying. It's an article about black final girls. And so they, she goes through here and talks about different black final girls from horror films and mm-hmm. earned a lot, but <laughs> right. But you know, the ones that there are, are interesting to look, to kind of look at mm-hmm. and dissect. And so. Yeah. That's neat. Yeah. Those are the types of articles that I've been seeing. Okay. Interesting. Well, and, and maybe at some point they'll be able to join us on the show. And so that, that'd be fun. Yeah. yeah if they, if they ever hear this women in horror month website, they also have a huge list of, just female horror filmmakers and discussion of their films and what, which films to watch and where to find their work. That's very cool. And there's a website called popcorn and glitter where Sophie Elizabeth, the writer, she has 10 films celebrating women in horror. And so that's also kind of more along the lines of what you were saying. She's talking about audition and alien and American psycho 
and the final girls mm-hmm. and the descent and a yes. girl walks home alone at night and the Babadook and just dissecting those films and talking about how they celebrate women. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and a lot of those, and it, it isn't necessarily like, like one time on horror metropolis, um, we did a lady killers episode, had a couple right. of lady guests join us and it was about, um, female killers, which, which we know in real life in the world is a little bit rarer or a lot rarer than men killers. Rare. Yeah. So or anyway, I, I, Aileen Werner's Warren. I can never pronounce her name. Eileen Warren's yeah. yeah. From monster. Yeah. yeah. I think that's, she might've been the, was she the first female? I don't know. No, she, I don't no. think she was the first, but well, you had, um, the, the girl, of uh, the 40 wax took a, Oh, well, Lizzie Borden. Lizzie Borden, yeah. She wasn't a serial killer. That was more of a, you know, she well took out her parents, but I was thinking more serial killer, but I don't. I might not even be. Oh, yeah. I don't like, even know if she was the first. Yeah, like a lady serial killer. That's, that's a very rare kind of phenomenon. Right. Mm-hmm. <sighs> Amazing. Okay. Well, that's interesting. Yeah, listeners can let us know and if you have any comments about women in horror and so forth. We'd love to hear from you. But I think we, we've got a lot of th- nice things to discuss. We've got some women in horror type of films, even even some new stuff here. And so let's move into our uh, feature review of Winchester. This spirit has a power we've not seen before. I can feel it in the air, in the walls. It has found us. It's gargantuan seven-storied structure with no apparent rhyme or reason. Each maze of halls more confusing than the next. It's under never-ending construction. It is built on the orders of a grieving widow. You want to take it away from her? We're worried about her sanity, Dr. Price. Do you believe in ghosts, Doctor? I do not believe in anything I cannot see or study. Okay, did you guys end up seeing Winchester? No, I did not. No, I wanted to. I'd heard mixed reviews on it, but I but a couple people were really high on it, so I was interested in, mm-hmm. in hearing what you had to say because I knew you were not as high on it. Well, <laughs> actually, yeah, I actually I'm a little bit of a defender for this film because I I did not have high hopes for it. This is a PG-13 horror film released uh, February 2nd, Groundhog Day. And uh, what happened was, I don't know if you guys noticed this. It was pretty hilarious to me. It shows kind of how test marketing works. That's my assumption anyway. This was initially called Winchester, um, the house that ghosts built. Did you you see that tagline? No. Yeah. And and that used to be the tagline in the early trailers for this. And because like, here's what happened. I just want to take take people through this journey this is and maybe you had the same experience when i first saw the trailer i'm like oh okay we got helen mirren we got oh okay she's playing the the heiress uh, sarah winchester of the uh you know winchester repeating rifle in the house with all the rooms fame right you know i'm really excited about that and then you see that it's got a in, in the trailer, you see it's got Jason Clark. He plays in it, and he's a great actor. And I was really excited, and then some of it seemed kind of creepy, too, right? Because it's like, okay, here's a ghost movie, but it's not the usual ghost movie 
from the trailer where you've got like some kind of like little kid with like black eyes and then like tar coming out of his mouth or something or somebody spider walking at you and i'm like this is a little different take so i was hopeful and open-minded and then they showed the title winchester the house that ghosts built and i'm like what that's so i mean i was really like i'm not seeing that ridiculous movie and then they ended up dropping that subtitle because i'm, I'm sure somebody at some point in a test screening said that's dumb get rid of that and and they did thank heavens they, they do still have a line um, in the film along those lines. It's a little bit improved, but it's in there. Anyways, I digress, but I don't you guys suspect that they were showing this at like a, a test screening and they had some marketing feedback and everybody's like, hey, get rid of that. Yeah, and they, they go a little bit too heavy into some of those things. That I, you know, you hear stories, you hear some nightmare stories about test screenings. Like, I think, Martin Scorsese's Goodfellas had the worst test screening of I don't know how many decades or you know uh, when when that one played but because wow. they're always showing these movies in the Midwest oh, you know man. that seems to be where they're where they're doing a lot of these test screenings is in the Midwest because I guess they figure well if it works there it'll you know <laughs> who was that I think it was I think it was Hershel Gordon Lewis who said uh you know, if it plays in Omaha, it'll play anywhere. I love, I love people in the Midwest. I uh, work with a gal from the Midwest, and she told me just the other day that they go mushroom hunting. And <laughs> I'm like, that is amazing. I love people from the Midwest. I know not everybody does that, but I'm just saying it's cool. <laughs> so, so anyway, this is well, there go, was go for it. I saw Patton Oswald. I think it was on Twitter was making fun of the trailer for this film. I guess some at some point the trailer said and at a, at the actual house and he was just making making fun of it basically saying like ooh this movie's got a house in it a real house <laughs> yeah well okay so but when you mentioned yeah this is a, a known haunted house in real life so it is cool that they actually shot the movie there right and I would bet you money we have a ton of listeners who have visited this house I think. Somebody over on Movie Podcast Weekly, maybe Andy, of course, you never can tell if what he says is true. I think maybe he's seen it. But anyways, this is um, this was written and directed by the Spirig brothers. And uh, horror fans will know them because like they, they did uh, Daybreakers, which I really love. They did Jigsaw. They did Undead. You know, I, I think they're... I think they're decent horror filmmakers. I I like their work thus far. And so, you know, I was very open-minded going into this, believe it or not, despite the whole, you know, subtitle thing. Um, And let me just tell you guys something. This is PG-13 horror, as I said. The first thing I want to just point out right now is the dialogue is quite good. I was shocked. I'm not saying every single line was like Oscar stuff, but I'm just saying... um, the dialogue between characters, I was really impressed by that. And it gave me a lot of hope. In fact, like the first half of the film, you know, this is, this is a period piece and the way it starts unfolding, like his job, basically uh, the Winchester repeating rifle, like, like the owners of the company, like the board, like the stockholders or whatever they are. Um, they were very concerned with this heiress because she continues to build rooms onto her, her home. And we're talking about a, a home that's just this gigantic mansion home that has all these random weird additions. It's constantly building 
and we're talking like a hundred plus rooms. It, it's insane. And, and so they basically kind of want her out of the picture because she has a lot of financial control and she still has like, you know, most of the, the board, you know, voting rights and decision making. And so they want to get rid of her. And so basically they hire, and this is just the premise, everybody, no spoilers. They hire Jason Clark, who's a doctor of psychology to kind of go assess her and and they basically tell him, you know, if you give us the right diagnosis, um, then, you know, we we will hook you up big time. You know, they're going to pay him really well. And, and it seems like she's kind of crazy anyway. So he agrees to do this because he's a big time skeptic in the first place. And he thinks she's probably crazy and thinks this will be pretty easy money. So he goes to to study, you know, be with this woman and kind of like interview her and be in the house. And of course, as you gather from the trailer, this house is very haunted. <laughs> so that that's the premise so far. Now, now are you guys are you guys in at this point as I tell you about this? Yeah, totally. Okay. Okay. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I, I mean, just love also seeing an actress on the level of Helen Mirren in a horror film too. I think right. that's just that right. alone is exciting. Right. I agree. And of course she's fabulous as always. Like, um, you know, she can, she can sell basically any, anything in a performance. And Jason Clark, I just, let me just celebrate him for a second with everybody. Jason Clark is, um, this actor, I, I feel like those two elevated this film even higher, like just having them work off of each other and, and just mm. the exchanges re- really make you feel like, Hey, I'm, I'm having this experience. This is real. What I'm watching is real. It kind of felt that way. But anyways, so I, I like him a lot. I, there were the two films that woke me up to him. I saw back to back in 2012 mm-hmm. lawless and zero dark 30, uh, right after one another, I saw right. them. I was like, this guy, is amazing. Who is this guy? Where have you been all my life? I Mm -hmm. still got to see Lawless. I loved him in um, Dawn of the Planet of the Apes. That's where he he really caught my attention. But yeah, like having him in this film, it just, it thrilled me. It reminded me of when, um, um, geez, the guy that was in Sinister, uh, help me out. I love that. Ethan Hawke. Knock. Yeah, it reminded me when he was in Senate. I'm like, oh, now we're now we're getting somewhere. So so anyway, um, the <laughs> yeah. the the problem, and and I'm I'm sorry to report this that about halfway into the film we start getting the revelations. Okay, I mean up until that point, uh, let me tell you, there are some jump scares, and even though it's only PG-13, and I'm usually kind of um not very susceptible to jump scares. Um, they got me a couple of times. I'll, I'll admit it. And I'm like, hey, this is fun. This is creepy. I'm digging it. You know, I'm liking this. And then you get halfway in and then we start getting backstory. We start getting explanations. We start getting rev- revelations. And when we meet the quote unquote monster, like when we when we learn about the monster and the, the prior evil and all that stuff, it totally deflates the balloon. And, and you're like, oh, okay. All right, fine. Like whatever. Like and and then of course it's like a big battle and so forth and it it's, it turns into kind of I don't want to say action horror but there there are things happening and it's <laughs> you know it, I I don't know like would you guys still see something like this? I'm just curious. Like what what do you think? I mean, I was not 
aware that this was getting poor reviews because a lot of the people that I had seen liked it. But then I, but then I started saying, but a lot of their, I guess, comments were qualified with, I don't know why this is getting bad reviews. I liked this. You know what I mean? So I, uh, I think the only thing you said that really made me wary was action horror. Cause that's usually not a genre I enjoy. Yeah. Maybe I should say, see, maybe I shouldn't have said that because yeah, I mean, it's not like, um, Abraham Lincoln vampire killer. Or okay. whatever. I mean, it's not like that, but I mean like, you know, you've got like crazy things happening in this house with, people running around and fighting for their lives kind of thing. It, it's not jumping. <laughs> What'd you say? <laughs> that sounds good to me. Yeah. 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 I, I know it sounds good, but once you meet the monster, it really takes the teeth out of it, so to speak. Um, but here's, here's the most important thing that I want to say about Winchester. And I hope people will um, perk up for this one part. This film, we, we've talked many times, especially with Kyle Bishop, about how horror tends to reflect the fears of the day. And, uh, and coincidentally and sadly, um, you know, we just, as we record this, like just what a day or so ago, I think it was just yesterday, we had that awful Florida shooting, 17 people dead at that school shooting. Yeah. And, and, and this film right here actually reflects the horrors of this era of mass shootings. I mean, that, that is, yeah. That is covered in, and addressed to some extent in this film. That is a, a subplot, like a, a theme in this. So we're seeing this. And, and I, I honestly believe, I don't know that it was 100% like the, the, you know, the Spirit Brothers' intention, but I honestly believe that this came about in this film, and it was probably influenced by our culture of all these like horrific mass shootings. So... Anyways, uh, Winchester, I think, is definitely, like, worth a Redbox rental. Especially, you know, considering that it's a PG-13 Redbox rental. It's an okay horror flick. I've, I've seen far worse horror flicks. So, for me, this is a 6 out of 10. And I just call it a, a you know, it's an okay rental. That's where I am with so, it. So, okay. This is a, you know, I have seen really bland documentaries about the Winchester house. Mm-hmm. And they still fascinated me like really poorly executed, bad, you know, made for E entertainment kind of documentaries about this house. But it's so in those films, just the story of the house is so endlessly fascinating. Does this film get into that at all? Like the, the doors to nowhere and the continuous building and all the, all of that crazy stuff. Well, in so much that um, like, you know, there is some explanation of why she's building these rooms. However, I don't know the real life story well enough to like be able to tell you whether that's even accurate or it's just kind of fabricated for the movie. But it felt, and listeners can correct me if I'm wrong, it felt like it was just a little bit of like a, a fabrication in order like to, you know, a, like a plot point kind of thing and and so there's not a lot of exploration to like the details of the house we get a couple here and there but not like and knowing you as i do josh not like you would be looking for okay so so that's i mean does it show that there are like these crazy stairwells that just run into a wall and then like a door that opens up on the second floor and yeah yeah it it does show some of that and yeah the architecture in this is just 
it's madness. It, it's totally, yeah, yeah it, it's very bizarre. And you could tell why people would think that, okay, this person is not well. But um, so yeah. when I tweeted about this uh, from the HMP Twitter account, I see uh, Roberto Alamanza Jr. said, um, my exact thoughts, uh, didn't need the backstory. Um, he said that, he said, you nailed it by mentioning an underlying message about guns. Um, he said, I, I couldn't think so deeply because I got distracted by all the jump scares. So, yeah, there's a, there's a lot in it. And then Jake Parker, um, he said, this movie's nothing that will end up on my top 10 list by any means. I've been using MoviePass lately, which really adds to a fun experience. So that part was fun, but the movie was just okay. And I, I think that's fair. Um, I'm with you, Jake. So anyway. What's well, weird? I, I I guess I expected a film with Helen Mirren that takes place in a mansion to not be filled with jump scares. I assumed it would be kind of a slow burn, you know, character drama mm -hmm. kind of film. Yeah, the so first. The yeah, I'm sorry, I cut you off, but yeah, the first half is, and 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 that part okay. is the the best part because they're actually building um, some dread in there, and especially mm -hmm. as you learn, you know, because. Often in horror films, right, the characters in horror films have their own personal uh, tragedies or demons or things that haunt right. them. And so as you're learning about this a little bit, especially with this this uh, Jason Clark character, you're like, oh, this is this is going to be good. But then you're like, oh, come on. So anyway, the second half is truly disappointing. But anyway, six out of ten say Ren. Slashly G tweeted beautifully chilling ghost story with a, with great acting by Helen Mirren. Is it terrifying? No. Is it a phenomenal supernatural tale? Yes. So mm, that, nice. <clears throat> that tweet actually was enough to make me want to go see it. Yeah. 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 You'll probably dig it, Josh. I mean, to some extent, I, I'm curious. I mean, it definitely, your reservations sound like the types of reservations I would have too. So, Oh, okay. Well, cool. All right. So, um, Dave, you going to catch up with that one? <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, I would like to. Awesome. Definitely. All the right. mansion in it of itself is just so interesting. You know, right. I just, mm -hmm. I feel like it's drawing me in. Like, I want to know more. I mean, there's that is the fact is based on a real haunted house. Like you're saying, Jay, yeah. it could have been, could have been fabricated a little bit. Um, but also Helen Mirren. I mean, that, just to see her in a, in this sort of movie, that would be very interesting. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, she did have a, in the old days, she did appear in Caligula. <laughs> so it's not like she's, she's been doing all highbrow stuff her whole career, but you know. I thought you were saying that's a horror film in your estimation. No. Well, <laughs> there, let's put no, it's not a horror film, but it's pretty horrific at times. <laughs> that's hilarious. Okay, well, listeners, let us know what you thought of Winchester in the show notes for episode 140 here. And uh, now I think we're about to move into the feature review that I've been waiting for and waiting for. I'm so pumped about this. Unfortunately, this is, as Josh put it, a dudes in horror <laughs> review, right? But, yeah, right, but right. We absolutely had to talk about the ritual. Look, we go southwest through here. We cut the journey in half. Or through the forest. Yeah, why not? Rob would have loved this place. He's a good man. The best of us. You know what they have walking trails in England? Pubs. Come on, man, where's your soul? Now, is it me, or is it really quiet in here?
The Ritual is a 2018 Netflix original film by David Bruckner. And David has done some stuff that, that I really enjoyed with VHS and Southbound. He also was involved with The Signal and Siren. So he's, he's an interesting guy that has played around in the, the short-form horror space quite a bit. Um, but here we, we get a feature film that, as one of our Twitter followers said, I'll try to find out who said it later. I, I wish I had that in front of me, but um, basically the, this is what the Blair Witch sequel should have been. And uh, you have a story. And the thing that I really mm. responded to it initially, it reminded me a bit of that film force majeure where you have yes. <laughs> a, a male character who um, his masculinity is undercut due to his own actions. And mm he has to deal with the shame, you know, that a modern male might have to deal with if he can't act in a way that is, you know, the ideal, this heroic uh, manly man. So, Oh my goodness. Basically yes. you, you have a group of college friends. They get, like do a trip every year and they're, they're talking about what they'd like to do for their next trip. And they're kind of arguing about, what they should do, where they should go. Some of them are saying we should go to Ibiza. No, we should, we should go on a hike. And that's out of the question. And um, they leave the bar and there's a terrible incident. And one of the men dies mm-hmm. and then it cuts to sometime later. Is it six months later? Six months. Yeah. And the group is now on a hiking trip without the one friend. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, to, I don't think it's necessarily spoiler because this is all within the first couple of minutes. Right. But the character of Luke played by Ray Spall, he is essentially blamed by the other guys for their friend's death because he didn't do anything when he could have. Yeah. And so that tension is underlying much of the film. Mm -hmm. And other than that, it it is kind of a typical lost in the woods film. You know, these guys are, are hiking. They decide to take, the off the path off the beaten trail way and they become lost in the woods and they're hunted by something unseen and it's taking them out one by one. Um, And it goes places that I did not expect in the last third. And that to me was the stuff that really surprised me in in a good way because I, I didn't think it was going to be that type of film. Mm -hmm. I thought it was going to be, you know, what we get with a, with a Blair Witch type of film oftentimes is, you know, we're lost in the woods. We go into the cabin. We don't quite see what killed us, but we're all dead and there nothing happens at the end. <laughs> you know, <laughs> right. I thought that's what right. it was going to be, but it's not that kind of movie at all. So I, I was very pleasantly surprised with the ritual. Um, I, I, it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it, it does two things that I love. One, it, it's the better toaster oven, right? Like it, it just takes, something that we know works in horror and adds a new layer to it, a new wrinkle to it. It does it just a little bit different, makes it a little bit better, a little bit new and fresh. And that's enough to make it just enjoyable for a genre fan. I think Mm -hmm. the second thing that it does for me is one of my favorite things in horror where they take mythology from a certain region that we haven't necessarily seen utilized in horror before. And they make that part of the story as with the lure or troll hunter 
or Krampus, you know, this takes the lore of a certain area and uses that as a horror vehicle that we've just never really seen on screen. Mm -hmm. Yes. Yeah. And what I like about that part is, you know, when, when it comes to mythology, a lot of it is just that mythology, but this has you thinking, Hey, maybe there's something to this, you know, as, as to what they're saying for all, there's a lot of um, sort of unexplained things that happen early in the movie. Um, and, And I kind of liked that, as an explanation of what could have possibly been causing that. Mm-hmm. Yes. And, and oh, guys, I just, I'm trying to be really careful right now only because I just want to gush over this movie and lose my mind. And, and then, and then what would happen is people's expectations would be raised too high and then people would be disappointed. So I'm trying to control myself, but I, I love this film. It's it's my kind of movie because there's that you know we got to survive element so there's that survival element and um, as as Josh said I mean there is something hunting them taking them out so um, I feel comfortable saying and and it was presented to me this way on Twitter when people were recommending it this is a beastly freaks flick a creature feature and um, the strongest part for me what impressed me most is um, the creature design. I'm, I was very pleased with that and mm-hmm. just absolutely delighted. Yep. And and really, they really played it close to the chest. Um, mm-hmm. And I liked that aspect of it too, because it really does make it, you know, very, very frightening early on. And uh, you're right. It didn't disappoint when you finally get a view, because a lot of times they'll do that. And then when you finally get a look at it, you're like, oh, okay, well. Yeah, all right. I guess it's all right. But this one, it was, you know, impressive. It really was. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, Josh, how, how did you feel about it? Because I just want to celebrate that for a second and talk about that. About uh, the beast? About yeah. The beastly the, freak? Yeah, the beastly freak. I, I really enjoyed it. Like I was saying, to me, that's, you know, half, I guess, of what I was referring to when I said taking, you know, the mythology of this culture we haven't really seen on screen before and and exploiting that, you know, in the horror genre, I, I love seeing that. Number one, I've never seen this. Whatever this is, I've never seen it. And usually I don't like that. Like, right. I'm not a fan of the creature design in Super 8. I'm not a fan of the creature design in Cloverfield. I think those look stupid. I I don't relate to those monsters. And so sometimes when it's a creature I've never seen before, it's just not my thing. This was amazing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. and 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 I will say, like, it's a mix of CGI and practical. And I was a little bit worried when we got into CGI territory, but it pulled it off, and mm-hmm. that also surprised me. Which I, I'm not a CGI fan. It truly does. So, so there's that aspect, which I, you know, I was over the moon for the the creature effect, but but setting that aside, the heart of this film, which is the you know, <laughs> the person who's suffering, the person with the demons, like we've talked about, you know, horror happening to those who, well, this guy, I mean, maybe he does deserve it. You know, who who knows? Who's to say? Like, you might, you might, if you're paralyzed with fear and you feel like you can't do anything, you know, should you be, should you be, um, you know, vilified for that? I don't, I don't know, but like that tension it's like, you know how we praise the thing? We love the thing. John Carpenter's the thing because there's that tension and that animosity mm-hmm. that's underlying. And this yeah. has that. And it's very effective. Mm-hmm. It's very it's very sad as yeah, well. It, 
it, it's handled very well. And I liked at the beginning, again, we're talking about the very beginning here. Um, the first, I think, like John said, five, 10 minutes, um, uh, where, you know, you have the one character he's, we're led to believe he's the alpha male of this group. I mean, he's the, the one who, you know, makes the final calls and everyone's sort of, um, I don't know if they follow him, but he definitely makes his opinions known. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and then He's a trash talker. <laughs> right. Yeah. And then, you know, what happens, it, it cuts him down a bit in our eyes as well as, as well as his friends, his friends eyes. But, you know, in a lot of movies, this would be, this would be the, the villain. This would be the, you know, Hey, look at, look at this guy talking so big. And then when the chips are down, he's nowhere to be found, but he's the one we follow. He's the one we have to live th- through this with him. And I thought that was interesting that, mm-hmm. you know, that, that they made him sort of the, still let him be, um, yeah, you know, take, take the lead as far as, uh, as far as the characters in this film. And I thought that was an interesting choice and I thought it worked really well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I agree. Yeah, and, and there's that whole element of, um, like, the woods in this movie are genuinely creepy. I mean, it's really beautiful, first of all, but but it's also um, done really well. And 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 I like what what that listener said, whoever it was on Twitter, who said that about the, the Blair Witch thing. I hadn't even thought of that, but I, I totally agree. I mean, yeah, we get, um, there are some definitely Blair Witch type flavor stuff in this, which is really cool. And some surprises, as Josh said, that come later. We won't go near those because we don't want to spoil it for anybody. Right. But um, I think that was Nate from Salt Lake City, actually. Necromancer Nate. Oh, yeah. Um, Nate. SLC. Um, so the other thing I was going to say is, isn't it interesting in a film like this when you get um, kind of that slasher for- formula? It's not a slasher film, obviously, but uh, when they're picked off one by one, in the woods, I mean, that's that's very, you know, <laughs> it's Friday the 13th-esque, a little bit. Friday the 13th-esque, a little bit. And I, yeah. I like when, mm-hmm. I, so you really get a blend of different things. You get a horror movie in the woods, you get a creature feature, you've got, uh, I won't reveal what it becomes later, but you got that aspect as well, which I love. Um, you know, there I are... Wished, I, I, I didn't like the the body count portion i will say i like that the least of the whole film oh, okay simply because i just felt like unlike a slasher the kill we don't get to spend a lot of time with the kills it had a lot in common with a lot of the blair witch knockoffs one that i talked about on last week's episode preservation where it's like oh we woke up and they're not in their tent and they're gone and i just i don't like that kind of stuff as much as mm-hmm. uh, being stalked because then there, then you have tension then you've got you know, uh, you're playing with that tension with the audience and the suspense. And um, I, I would prefer that a little bit more, but mm-hmm. I think what was cool is that there was always a psychological underpinning to everything that was happening and actually like visualized on screen too, in a really cool practical yeah. effects kind I of way. That. Yeah. Yeah. We talked about that with dig two graves a little bit, Dave. Do you remember mm-hmm. that? How they yep. went into the flashback scene within the scene. And I thought that yeah. they handled that really well. And I th- you're right. I thought they handled it brilliantly yeah. in this one. And, Perfect. and let's be honest, there are times when you think, is, is this a dream? Is this really happening? Um, and you know, it, I like that. It, it was really, really interesting because 
that keep that takes you off kilter too. I mean, that's sort of you know what you think you might know what's going on, and you really don't. And and that's why I I really that's why I really liked you know where it went at the very end. Mm-hmm. Agreed. And did you guys feel like um, I don't know if you have this experience, but I sure do. When I watch a film like this, it was about halfway through. And and they they know that like they're in big trouble, right? It's kind of like after the first night of sleeping in the woods, for example, and they know that they're in danger, and they're kind of freaked out, to say the least. And 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 they're walking, and they're kind of like trying to act like what I think regular people would do. It's like, okay, well, let's not let's not dwell on this. Let's just you know get moving and get where we're going and not like freak ourselves out. I mean, I love the pep talks they kept trying to give each other. Like, let let's not just lose it here. Let's let's keep it together because that made me feel like um, <laughs> number one, it gave some realism, but it also made me like kind of like yeah, I guess cuddle up in my my blanket so to speak because it made me do you guys know what i'm talking about when something is kind of freaky and you're like oh oh it's on now they're in for it they're gonna get it like i was having that feeling watching this film i just had an absolute blast but yeah mm -hmm. so in in terms of um and and again we won't we won't spoil anything we promise but but were you guys pleased with where the film eventually goes you know as far as an ending how how do you like the way this is, um, you know, when the credits roll and everything and when it's all said and done, do you like the way this film was handled, the story was handled? Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. absolutely. Okay. Yeah, I, I thought it was really cool. I I actually loved the, the, like, one of the last beats with the monster. I thought, this is perfect. Like, that's yes. the perfect way to end. Right. <laughs> that's right. So uh, let's wrap this up. Josh told me that the listeners were wanting a little more of a spoiler talk for movie reviews, right? So what we'll do is at the end of this show, we'll do a, a short spoiler section on the ritual in case that's what you're looking for. Because uh, yeah. we, we aim to please, but not now. I mean, right now we're going to do our final thoughts and ratings on this sucker. And then at the very end of the show, we'll have a little spoiler talk for you in case you want to stick around. So um, Doc Shock, what do you rate the ritual? I think I'd probably give it a nine and I'd say, um, you know, it's, it's a buy when it becomes available, you know, uh, definitely pick this one up. Mm-hmm. Excellent. Yeah. And what about you, Wolfman Josh? I really liked it. I was a lot lower initially. I came in at like a 7.5, but I, I thought it was good. I, you know, I, I think there are elements of it that were very underwhelming for me. I think it started strong and ended strong in the middle I was not as interested. The middle felt a little more paint by numbers and and, more generic. uh, I will, I will agree. Yeah. I will agree that it does. Like you said, it it doesn't reinvent the wheel, but it does. It does what it does very well. I mean, it's not like it, it, even though it's a little familiar version of it. Exactly. Exactly. Um, We, you know, we had a listener, Sean Taylor. He said, just watch the ritual. Not really a new concept. I felt like I've seen this movie before. You can see a lot of things coming paint by numbers as Carl would say from the podcast weekly (laughs) ending was okay. Creature design was cool. Six out of 10. And I, I don't agree with Sean necessarily, but I do think I don't want to oversell this because I do think like you were saying, if we're too high on it, people could definitely be underwhelmed. Because a lot of it is just, as Dave said, kind of generic, but it's in this really cool setting. It's 
that's got this really cool um, psychological flashback stuff that's going on. This interesting character tension underpinning that's going on. And then this awesome ending with this beastly freak and, and all these other cultural mythological elements. Um, it is a really cool movie. So I guess, yeah, 7.5. I it, For me, it's definitely a stream at recommendation. It's a Netflix original. So that's where you're going to see it. And this is one I would buy it actually, if it was available on Blu-ray Netflix, if you're listening, I will buy your Blu-rays. Um, <laughs> but yeah, I, I mean, I think I, I didn't love the cast to be honest, or at least I didn't feel like they were all good actors, but I just didn't feel I wanted to drag to drag out their death scenes and, and their emotional connections a little bit more. You know, I just never felt yeah completely invested in them. And Rafe Spall, who I enjoy as an actor, and he did a fine job all the way through. You know, I, I mostly know him from uh, from Edgar Wright's films. He has small parts in Hot Fuzz and Shaun of the Dead. But more recently, in, you know, Prometheus and The Big Short. He's a good actor, but um, I don't know. I never completely got on his side during the film. So... I guess I felt a little bit emotionally distant from the actors, okay. but still an excellent movie. Yeah, I I see that criticism. I see what you're saying with that. But okay, so are you? You said seven point five then on that. Yep. And um, you tell people to stream it, and yeah, you would it's a buy- high priority rental. Watch it right away for sure. Okay, good. Okay, so for my rating, uh, do you guys let me just direct you to a previous Be- Beastly Freaks film. There was a, a horror film from 2014. Um, called Animal. I don't know if you remember that, directed by Brett Simmons. And it was very mm-hmm. similar to this in a way. I mean, you just had these this group of people, um, you know, they were in the woods at this cabin and um, there was some creature, some beast in the woods that was like a freaking, like, full of teeth and just eating them. Um, mm. Anyways, I really enjoyed that. I thought it was a, a really good uh, Beastly Freaks film and everything. But I think that this, this, um, the ritual is like that film, but, but elevated. I think it's more artistic. I think it's more suspenseful. I think the, I, I think that it's a lot richer, a film, a lot more, uh, you know, not, not that the animal was bad, but I'm just, just saying that I think that this is better than animal and that it, it's, um, uh, it's a higher caliber of film. So for me, I'm over the moon yeah. for this. It's really hard to find a great, this sounds silly, but it's fine. It's hard to find a great monster movie, a great uh, creature flick. And I feel like we have one here. Um, it, it does the jaws treatment though, where you don't see it for, you know, most of the film, you do get to see it at the end, but it's, it's not very much. And that's fine, but for well, me... it's not very much. They really show it, though. They don't hide it at the end. Oh, yeah, they really show it, but it's like... Right, you know, exactly. It, it, it's not like um like in the Alien movies, you know, you see aliens throughout. But, you know, like you compared it to Animal. For me, I was more comparing this to Blair Witch-type movies, as I mentioned with Preservation. The other one that I had just recently seen that it reminded me of was Temple, where it's just one of those movies where you just don't see much, you know, it's so similar to everything else you've seen in of its type. This is much higher quality version of temple, you know, like way higher quality. version. Yeah. 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 I mean, it, it's a, I see the Blair Witch comparison, but it's also like, like with animal, for example, you didn't get a great look at that creature 
Um, but you did see some of the animal beast um, throughout it. Uh, but you could tell it was just vicious and <laughs> crazy. Well, th- this one is uh, vicious too. Anyway, The Ritual for me is one of my favorite horror films I've seen in a long time, in, in recent memory. And it's definitely, I'm just telling you right now, I know it's only February, but I'm pretty sure this is going to be in my top 10 list. I love Beastly Freaks movies. This is a, this is a 9.5 out of 10 for me. I'm saying definitely streaming on Netflix, and I call this a buy when it comes out on a video. I'm curious, you know, this one for me, you know, it started out as a, as a seven and then went up to 7.5, and I, I it has stuck with me. So I I could see this actually, my appreciation for this growing over time, and I'm going to watch it again. Like, it's definitely one that I thought, oh, man, I can't wait to watch that again. <laughs> mm-hmm. <Ain't> totally. <laughs> Same here. All right, at this point in episode 140, let's move into Classic Horror Movie Minute. All right, I have a good one here to discuss, and it does sort of fit into the um, the Women in Horror Month. Uh, it is from uh, 1944. It is a haunted house film called The Uninvited, uh, directed by Lewis Allen, starring Ray Milland, Ruth Hussey, and Donald Crisp. Uh, and I'll be honest with you, I, I saw this movie many years ago. Um, I can't remember if it was on Turner Classic Movies but or something. It might have even been on PBS uh, here huh. in Philly. I can't remember. But when I would think of a haunted house movie, I would think of this movie. This is the one that mm-hmm. I would think of. And I think it is sort of one of the quintessential. I don't know if it's it's the, you know, uh, we've had a lot since then. But this is the one I would always go back to um, to set the story up. Um uh, a brother and sister, uh, Roderick and Pamela Fitzgerald. Um, they move into this house in Cornwall, England, the coastal town, and, and they really love it. They love this house. Um, its owner, uh, which command this commander, uh, he's, he wanted to get rid of it. He wanted to upload, uh, you know, to unload the house, which, uh, upset his granddaughter. Um, it turns out her mother died in that house. Well, the Fitzgeralds quickly understand why they wanted to unload it so quickly. There is a ghostly presence, and uh, they find this out very, very quickly uh, in their stay there. And they have to deal with, you know, what's going on here? What? Why is this ghost here? What is going on? Um, so in that regards, it's, it's a little bit like a mystery, too. Um, it's not like a typical sort of haunted house mystery, like a Scooby-Doo, where, hey, who's the guy in the in, in the suit? Um, this one feels, you know, this one is more, uh, a, a genuine, this was the first, I, I'd seen it somewhere. This was the first Hollywood film where they treated a haunting as a genuine event, as opposed yeah. to a psychological or somebody trying to scare somebody. This is no, yeah. there's a ghost. There had been other ghost films, but they were comedies and like, right. you know, it would be like the ghost breakers or whatever. Um, you know, Abbott Costello, this was the first time where we're actually seeing a ghost and it's taken seriously. And because of that, even psychologically for me, I think watching it, I kept expecting them to find out, well, it's not really a ghost. This is the person who's doing it. Right. As I was watching it the first time, but it's not, it's a ghost movie. You know, it doesn't have the same feeling that a lot of supernatural movies do like the haunting, which is probably my go-to, you know, haunted house movie. Mm-hmm. That one, you have this intense unease yes. and you know that something evil is happening in this house with this one it's almost light at times but then 
they'll see a ghost, you know, right. and, and, right. and the ghosts reminded me of, um, so I had seen this years and years ago, but I just barely got the criterion Blu-ray version. So I watched when I heard that you were watching it, kind of, I decided I was going to watch it too. Mm-hmm. And, um, man, it, the ghosts remind me of the ghosts of personal shopper. I would be shocked to find out that these were not the influences for how they made those ghosts and, in personal shopper last right year. and this and you hear these ghosts too and i think that's the really mm-hmm. creepy scenes you know where they're standing at the top of the stairs saying hey what's what who's that down there we hear we hear this crying what's going on down here is it yeah you know and then it all sort of falls into play you know with with the mystery trying to figure out you know what happened here um and you know there have been some good ghost movies uh over the years i think and like you said the haunting is definitely one the innocence uh, with Deborah Kerr mm-hmm. is a really good one. Um, of course, I, I'm always a big fan of not quite in the same vein as these, but I always loved House on Haunted Hill with Vincent Price. Um, mm, but for me, you know, I think The Uninvited definitely fits in there. It's 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 one of those. Uh, it's a very strong, very well done uh, supernatural film. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Man, it's so good. <clears throat> I was really impressed by it. And I, they've got a great seance scene, which is fun. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I guess Hitchcock was a big fan of this film and he ended up casting Ray Milland in a dial M for murder about 10 years later. Um, but right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's just very well made, beautifully shot. Um, yep. The, the cinematographer had worked in Germany before um, with Fritz Lang. And so um, this is Charles Lang who was, who is not no relation as far as I understand. I think Charles Lang was mm-hmm. American, but, um, but he had shot films for Fritz Lang. He shot a lot of famous movies, Sabrina, some like a hot. And, um, but he's just a really talented cinematographer and he gr- makes these beautiful compositions during the film. Yeah. The, the, you got the, again, you know, what, what works with these is, is setting up that mood and you have the, the shadows and you get the feeling there's always something there, you know, there, there could say just watching them. And I think it really adds to it. I did think that the the female characters are incredibly important in this film. Like you said, the mother is Mm -hmm. the entire MacGuffin of what's making the film work. Plus she's the least one of the ghosts that are haunting this place. And Gail Russell, I mean, as I think one of the, you know, criterion, uh, you know, academics that they had on that disc was talking about, she is the entire stakes of the movie, her well-being, her psychological state of mind, her physical well-being with regard to the ghosts is what is at stake in this movie, you know? Right. And so mm-hmm. I thought that was pretty interesting. Definitely. Gail Russell, by the way, man, she had a very sad life after this. She was plucked from obscurity. She won like a beauty contest at her high school and was signed to Paramount Studios right out of high school because she was so beautiful that she went on to have like a really terrible drinking problem and all of these drunk driving um, tickets and eventually she drove her car through the front window of a restaurant and and pinned someone uh to the ground with her car uh, wow it, boy yeah no, it's sad a, sad end it's, too. You, always, you always hear about that I, I can't remember who it was somebody uh, just looking at it again recently i had it as, it was from the attack of the 50-foot woman i think it's yvette vickers where um they found her mummified remains in her house turns out she had been dead for years yeah. Um, you know, oh, well, that's like really that. terrible. It's just, yeah, it's just a shame. Bill Russell died young at 36, so wow, um, she lived she lived fast and hard, and yeah, she burned brightly. Complications of liver failure, it says. So 
Yeah. yeah. That's very sad. She had alcoholic issues. Yeah. Very beautiful. Yeah. I mean, she's yeah. aw, so sad. So I haven't seen this 1944 version of The Uninvited, but just want to throw it out there since it is Women in Horror Month, right? There is a 2009 movie called The Uninvited, which is rated PG-13. And I will say, I think it's one of the most effective PG-13 horror films. And people should check it out. I like that one too. Yeah, I I enjoyed that movie as well. And that is, that one's even more fitting for women in horror. You're absolutely Mm -hmm. right. Okay, well, uh, Dave's got to get up in like, what, two hours, three hours, something like that. About three, three hours, four, almost four hours. (laughs) Okay, so we're going to let him go for the night. So Dave, uh, let the listeners know where they can uh, find more of your work on the internet. Absolutely. Of course, DVDinfatuation.com, where the challenge still continues. As a matter of fact, I made some posts tonight explaining what's going on. I'm really sort of, you know, I dived headfirst into 2017 movies and, and just put together a list of ones that I absolutely want to get to before I put together my year-end list uh, on Oscar weekend. And I still have a good 40 to 45 titles left to go. So I said, you know what, I've just got to put the challenge on the back burner for now. Once the Oscars are over, then I could go full force and just finish this thing out. Um, I do only have 14 more movies to go. <laughs> um, but I really, really want to want to get into these 27. I got to admit, I'm, I'm loving it. I'm loving just, you know, just picking out these films and just, you know, picking one up saying, OK, let's watch this one. Let's watch that one. Um, I'm having a blast with it. And I'm getting in like sometimes six a day, wow. you know, on a day I'm off, obviously, when I'm off from work. Um, so you can check me out at dvdinfatuation.com, on Twitter at dvdinfatuation, Facebook page as well, and Instagram. And of course, over on Letterboxd, you can follow along with, uh, I have a list going of the 2017 movies. Now, originally it was separated out from the horror films. However, I have gone in and added every movie I've seen for 2017 into this list now. And I'm just going to continue to add to that uh, as I watch more movies. And of course, other podcasts, the Universal Monsters cast, the We Deal in Lead podcast uh, here on the network. You know, we got some interesting things going and yet another podcast coming up uh, down the road that uh, I guess we're going to reveal at some point in the near future. Uh, at first, I was excited. I'm like, it's called Down the Road? That's exciting. <laughs> Sorry. Yeah, I don't know what the hell it would be about, but, you know, uh, road movies maybe. But no, that's not it. <laughs> okay. Well, I'm so in suspense. I think I know what it is, but I'll have to wait and see. <laughs> All right, Dave. All well, right. you have a good night. Thanks for being yep, here. guys. Yep. Have a good night, guys. I'll talk to you later. See you, Dave. Take care. Take Thanks care. for Bye-bye. inspiring us. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> have a good one. Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. Okay, it's been a while, Wolfman Josh, but uh, we're bringing back Jay of the Dead's Beastly Freaks. Um, right. Yeah. I miss our horror segments. I'm glad we're starting to do this again. I think it's very cool. And since we're doing Women in Horror Month for this episode, kind of recognizing that, we talked about, obviously, the ritual reminds us a lot of this film. And it's one of my all-time favorite horror films. That is The Descent from 2005. Now, I know a lot of people are familiar with this. But just in case you're not... Okay, I hope you'll hear me out because, Josh, I'll tell you right now, I was looking at my um, top 10 all-time favorite horror films list, and the list stands strong, and these are oh, these are some good picks, I have to say, but I have The Descent currently at my number three. The only one that's above it, you got Cujo, and then you got The Texas Chainsaw Massacre 1974, but I love The Descent so much, 
I'm starting to struggle and starting to think it needs to switch places with Cujo. I, wow. I, but as of right now, it's still my Cujo is still my number two, but this is definitely my number three film, wow. which beats out 28 Days Later, The Thing, Aliens. I mean, all three of those films I'm obsessed with. So that's really saying something, Josh. Yeah, man, that's crazy. <laughs> so this is uh, written and directed by Neil Marshall. Uh, it's a film from the UK, and you would know Neil Marshall from Dog Soldiers, especially if you're a, a Wolfman fan like Josh here, <laughs> right? Do, do you like Dog Soldiers, Josh? You know what? I guess I'm not a Neil Marshall fan, I'm realizing. I had seen Dog Soldiers when it first came out. It didn't make much of any impression on me. And we had listeners say they were going to buy me a copy because they wanted me to give it another shot. Mm-hmm. And... I don't know what ever happened with that. I think there was supposed to be a Blu-ray release and it never came out. I ended up buying a copy, but never rewatching it. So I do need to revisit dog soldiers. The descent I saw when it came out, I mm-hmm. thought it was very scary. Right. And I, and I really enjoyed the camaraderie of the friends. I think this had a lot of what I was wishing the ritual had a little bit more of, which is these relationships really worked for me. Yeah. In this film. Yeah. Ultimately, I don't know. I just felt like the film was kind of straightforward, not like terribly interesting. And I think I maybe rewatched it once, but I for sure have not seen it in the last 10 years. Definitely not since we started horror podcasting. Okay. Um, well, so it's been at least since 2006 <laughs> or seven since I've seen this. Film. All right. So let me, let me do my thing here. Actually, what I would like to do, Dr. Shock and I have talked about this. I would love to review the descent and the descent part two in like full length feature reviews. But for right now, here's my pitch for you. I know you've seen it, but I'm just going to give you a couple things. So yeah, uh, for listeners who aren't familiar, this is about six women, which is really cool, right? Because how many horror films have just a group of women? And and that's neat, right? The, like they are our uh, protagonists and basically the entire cast. Yeah, exactly. And that's really cool. And so they decide that, you know, they do these high adventure things together and and they like to go caving, cave diving. And they decide to go on this trip. Um, and, and this is in the beginning, right? This is just premise. I'm not going to spoil anything. But basically they decide to go in, into this cave system and one of the, the more adventurous and mischievous uh, ladies decides that she wants to give them a challenge and and she kind of switches the cave to one that is completely uncharted or whatever it's not even on the map or whatever she's just heard about it and and so they they get down into this cave and immediately and this is again in the first portion of the film if you went into this film blind i mean you already know it's a beastly freaks film so i'm just saying but when you know when i remember when i first saw this i mean them being down in this cavern, these caves, which is really tight and scary and and them having like trouble just with the caving and getting in an emergency situation. This starts out as a very claustrophobic and smothering um, survival horror film. I mean, even if there were no beastly freaks involved at all, I would still love this film. But the fact that they're, they have to survive in general, and then there are these subterranean um, humanoid beastly freaks down there that start eating them <laughs> and eviscerating them 
Oh my goodness, Josh. I think this is so scary. I think it's intense. I think it's suspenseful. It is, um, there's a lot of darkness. They're down in the caves. But even despite that, you know, you would think that's like, I'm not going to be able to see anything in this movie. And sometimes it is hard. But honestly, that plays into the additional fears that you have. Mm. It's ex- so watch it in the dark, too. Oh, yeah, that's for sure. Watch it in the dark. It's also extremely, extremely bloody. And our friend over there, uh, Carl Huddleston on Movie Podcast Weekly, He's not the biggest horror fan, and I insisted that he watched it. And um, it, it, it gets so gory and bloody. At one point, like Carl said, it gets stupid gory. You know, like and that was his description. And to me, <laughs> to me, that's a that's a bonus personally. But <laughs> anyway, they have tried to do other movies like this along these lines. Like um, around the same time, there's a film called The Cave, which is PG thirteen, and that thing. Yeah can't even hold a candle. I mean, you can see everything in the cave. It's clearly lit like this Hollywood production, but man, it's not even nearly as scary or as interesting as this. Um, what do you think of the creatures in this, the, the beastly freaks down there? Um, again, it's been a little while. My recollection is they look like, you know, when um, in Bram Stoker's Dracula, Francis Ford Coppola's film, mm-hmm. there's a scene where, uh, the vampires having sex with Lucy, I believe it is in the graveyard. <laughs> <laughs> right. Or in monster squad where, um, you know, the, the vampire gets shot kind of mid transformation. That's what this looks like. It looks like a vampire. That's like half between transportation, transforming between human and bat. And mm-hmm. they like yeah. crystallized in that moment. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's a, a great description. So, yeah, they they look scary. They're very creepy. And and there's also, as with any good horror film, there's also some like inter um, mingled drama among the friends as well, which I won't get into here. But I think even that gives it another um, layer, which I love. So uh, I talked about the top ten list. What I haven't mentioned yet is that. You know, we all know, like we often talk about how Roger Ebert is such a harsh critic of horror typically, but I I still submit to you all that he's he does recognize great horror sometimes. I mean, like, for example, I remember he called the Texas Chainsaw Massacre, the original, some kind of bizarre masterpiece. Um, He liked the original Halloween 1978, of course, and um, he loved The Descent. He gave The Descent four out of four stars which um, not every movie got four stars from Roger Ebert. Let me tell you that. And and, and let me read this quote to you, Josh. This is really cool. He says, The Descent, what a great title. This British horror thriller recalls grueling, adrenaline-pumping classics like Deliverance, Jaws, Alien, and Dead Calm. It's that good. Finally, a scary movie with teeth, not just blood and entrails, a savage and gripping piece of work that jangles your nerves without leaving your brain hanging. And so, for a change, you emerge feeling energized and exhilarated rather than innervated or merely queasy. And then he ended his review, Josh, the last line is, this is the fresh, exciting summer movie I've been wanting for months or for years, it seems. (laughs) So... There you there you have it. And I would also while while we're at it I'll just I'll just put it out there. I would recommend The Descent Part 2 as well. You can see really? the action. Oh yeah, it's 
like if the descent is a 10 and I'm telling you right now it is a 10 out of 10 then the descent part two is like a strong 9.5 to me um I, I mean it's it's basically just as good I think it's even it may even be a little more violent a little more gory and you can see the action a little better in that one but what I like the most about the descent part two is it's much like um, Halloween and Halloween 2 or Karate Kid and the Karate Kid Part 2 where it picks up immediately where the first one leaves off. And and that's really fun. I love it. Hatchet and Hatchet 2 and Hatchet 3. Oh, yeah. We learned the last episode. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, so um, can I ask you, so this, so this takes place in the same location? Yes, yes. You mean, do you mean okay. um, 1 and 2 for The Descent? Yeah. The descent part two is in the same location as the descent. Uh, yes, yes, okay. mm-hmm, absolutely. Yeah, I'll just leave it at that. But you definitely people got to see this. And, and in terms of like women in horror, you've got six very strong um, female characters. Like, just uh, I mean, I, I I can't think of too many other horror films quite like that. Can you, Josh? It's like. The cast is all well, women, basically. Of my head, for sure. No. Yeah, so that's the the craft, maybe. <laughs> oh yeah, that's right. Lords oh. of Salem. <laughs> yeah, good job. And then, Not really though. And and this isn't as much horror to me, but like um, the Beguiled more recently, you know, like mm-hmm. that's that's yeah. got a lot of women in the cast. But anyways, uh, I hope people will check out The Descent. It's my number three all time favorite horror film. 10 out of 10. This is a buy it right now. Um, you can watch it for um, two bucks on um, Amazon. Just just do it. So can you just give me an example? When Roger Ebert says this movie has teeth, mm-hmm. obviously he's being kind of punny, but what is, what is the thing that really gives us teeth in your, in your mind or what, what puts this on the level of, because a film like Jaws and alien, there's so much cinematic, cinematic, mastery of craft so much suspense and tension mm-hmm. How, like what is it about this film that reaches those levels okay well that's a great question to me i to me it's the layers here like um i mean if you're talking about craft um l- let's set aside that so there's story and there's craft let's look at it that way if you're talking about craft i think it would be very difficult to film this um you know, in, in these cavern sure. places and in the dark. Did you film them in an actual cavern? Um, you know, I... Partially, probably. Yeah, I think partially. In, in fact, I think I read at one point, and I'm sorry, I'm really foggy on these details, but I, I think it was like in um, some caves in Georgia or like it seems like it's in the, in, in the south. I mean, it's set like in a foreign place. I believe they're like, they're like, it's supposed to be, it's been a little while, but it's supposed to be like caves in Romania or something like that. I'm pulling up the filming locations now. Okay. Scotland, UK, um, England. Um, they did do some of it in the studio. So, so yeah, I, I guess. It looks I'm, like the underground portions were all shot at Pinewood. Yeah. All of the underground portions. That's what it says. Oh, that sucks. Okay. Well, I couldn't tell. I wouldn't have even known that. It says six caves were built for the film is what it says. Wow. Now, see, you by saying that, it almost sounds like I would have never guessed that in a million years. It's not like, you know, you know how like in the old Westerns, they they ride around in a circle around that big, you know, (laughs) 
structure in the desert. It's not like that at all. I mean, you you can't tell that only six caves have been built for this. Anyways. The uh, the location where they're supposedly meeting, the fictional location, is called Chattanooga State National Park, which does not exist but is referencing Chattanooga River from Deliverance. Oh, awesome. That's really cool. I don't know why. Why was I thinking this was like they were in Romania? Maybe I or Bulgaria or somewhere like that. Well, they may have filmed the exterior stuff there. I don't know. I don't know why I had that in my head. But yeah, something was Scotland and and anyways. Um, so the other side of your question, though, I think the layers are significant because you've got the the exterior. I'm sorry, I am looking. The exteriors were filmed in Scotland. Yeah. Okay. Cool. But yeah, in, in terms of like the the various layers of, of fear that you have here, you got um, fear of surviving. Nobody knows they're in these caves. Nobody knows where they are because they're not even on a you know a charted cave system. Um, there's the the conflict that goes on within the group. There's the survival element. You know, one of them's injured, of course. There's there's always water and stuff. There's how are we going to get out of the cave because they're they're trapped in the cave because of the cave in and there's claustrophobia and then the beastly freaks preying upon them. I just think that all those levels of fear because I like horror movies that do that. They give you a lot of different horror aspects to think about and to deal with. I, I think that's what gives it teeth to me. Okay, but. Anyways, that's the scent. Well, I'm craning my neck right now trying to see if I own the movie, if it's on my horror shelf over there. I can't see. I don't, I don't think I do. So I I am recommitting myself because Neil Marshall is slated to direct the next King of the next Skull Island, Blood of Kong and Hellboy. Mm-hmm. Um, I I need to do my due diligence and catch up with Dog Soldiers as I've already promised I would, and uh, and the Descent now as well. But man, I don't know. You know what we should do, Josh? We should do like um one of those. We should do like a double feature sometime. Um, maybe yeah. maybe like at Andy's Andy's place. He'd do a double feature yeah. of the Descent with us. That'd be incredible. Double feature. Heck I'll yeah, like yeah. Let's do it back to back. Yeah, I mean if. If people, if you don't think you'll get sick of the whole cave premise, then that's the way to go. Anyways, okay, that's the descent. Cool. All right, let's move into Wolfman Josh's Screaming Online segment. All right, this time for Screaming Online, I want to talk about another Netflix original, Before I Wake. Now, this film has an interesting backstory. It was at one time slated to come out in 2016, then 2017, then it was pulled completely. And as I understand it, because Mike Flanagan was such a good boy for Netflix and did such a great job with Hush and uh, Gerald's Game, they actually went and bought this film back for him, the rights to the film, and then released it on uh on Netflix. So wow. not initially planned to be a Netflix original, but eventually became one. That's neat. Yeah. So this is a film starring Kate Bosworth, who I'm a huge fan of. Same. And um, she's so good here. It's the film is directed by Mike Flanagan. As I've mentioned, it's co-written by Mike Flanagan and Jeff Howard, 
Jeff Howard has worked with Flanagan before. He is the co-writer of Gerald's Game and Ouija Origin of Evil and Oculus. Um, he is also slated to be writing the screenplay for a I Know What You Did Last Summer reboot, which Mike Flanagan is also going to be directing, it looks like. So hmm. that could be interesting. Um, and this is a very difficult film to explain. Have you seen this, Jay? No, I haven't actually. No, I can't decide if you like this or hate this. <laughs> On one, in one sense, my feeling is you would hate it because it deals with children. It's all in a fantasy kind of dream world. Mm. Yeah, right. There. And it's all and it's supernatural. Okay. Having said all that, this is an incredible movie. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Um. It definitely has problems, but it's 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 really really fascinating. Um, essentially, you've got this young boy, Cody, who's played by Jacob Tremblay, who's incredible. Like he's just super cute. Yes, he is awesome little actor. Yeah, from Room. And, yeah, exactly. Just an incredible mm. young actor, and he's and he's just as good in this. Um, he has these really intense dreams and he, his dreams essentially come to life. I mean, that's kind of the easiest way to say it. When he has a dream, the elements of that dream manifest physically while he's asleep. Wow. For others too, as well. Oh, that's cool. Um, a lot of his dreams are like these butterflies and, and, and somewhat pleasant things this is a poor kid who's been orphaned and he, he lives in foster homes and Kate Bosworth takes him in and she soon realizes that this power may be a chance for her to contact, maybe even resurrect her own deceased child. Mm. Right. Okay. And what she doesn't realize at first is that it's not only his dreams that manifest, but also his nightmares. And there is a nightmare character called the canker man. And this canker man wreaks havoc on all that he comes in touch with and ultimately leads to the demise of a major character. Is it the canker man, Ron Burgundy, Will Ferrell's character? (laughs) (laughs) Not that character. Sorry. (laughs) Stay classy, Jay. Okay. Okay, okay. So so Jesse, who's Kate Bosworth, she, she sees the harm that can happen for the canker man, but she's determined to use Cody's power. And so he's taken back away from her back into foster care. She tracks down the previous foster parent and finds that that person has gone mad and tries to find out who uh, Cody's original parents were. And is basically kind of investigating his backstory while at the same time, we're seeing his manifestations continue to happen um, at the at you know the place he's being kept and mm-hmm. it's just this crazy fantasy mystery horror film um and it's really good i thought i mean it's like i said it definitely has some problems it's weird to see in this context because we know mike flanagan's made at least two if not more films since he made this and so we have seen him progress i think as a filmmaker you know in the time i, I think this is definitely not as strong as hush or Gerald's game, but it's still a good solid horror film. And it, the cool thing about it is it's just totally unique. You know, it's not like a very 
it's in no way recognizable <laughs> as something you've seen before. At least nothing I had seen before. So um, it is a PG 13 film and, uh, and, 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 and it does have, I guess it does have a lot of very common horror tropes. So I shouldn't say that it's nothing we've ever seen before. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's, it's actually filled with very familiar things, but it's doing it in, because Kate Bosworth's character's motivation is so uh, real. Mm-hmm. It, it has a, a layer of depth that you wouldn't maybe not expect from, you know, a film that looks like this one does, which is just another one of those, you know, mid two thousands paranormal films. It's not, it's not that I think it, I think it stands above those. films. N- nice. So you don't have to answer this, especially if it's spoiler related and I don't know yet. So you tell me, yeah. but when, so when these, when the nightmares are manifest, like basically when the kid wakes up, do they disappear or do they just have to cope with these things? Oh, well, I and, don't, yeah, I think you want to enjoy. Yeah, you can't say, okay, okay. I'm, how these things play out. I'm just curious. Because they are they are different. And some of the manifest, I will say there's some manifestations that you can clearly, that the characters are able to realize that this is, you know, simply a projection. Mm-hmm. There are other things that become immediately dangerous and um, wow. interactive, shall we say. That That's a great premise. I mean, I love that idea. Well, and also, I guess what which, what is maybe something, a conclusion you could draw, but that I didn't actually say is what you realize is this kid has the power to kill uh, inadvertently. And so he wow. becomes this very dangerous character in the eyes of some kind of like an Akira or... Um, you know, in Looper or something where there's this kid with his uh, immense power. I don't think it's as powerful as that film is in the way that it (laughs) handles it, but (laughs) yeah, but very interesting and unique in in its own way. How scary was it for you on a, like if you did a scare rating, Uh, it's not very scary. It does get scary, scarier and better. The further it goes like, this is a movie that ends with a bang. I think you, I think you might start it and be like, eh, this is fine. It's, it's like in the five to six range for me, but I think it ramps it, like it gets better and better as it goes. So it ends really strong in my opinion. Well, you talked me into it, Josh. I'm sold. I'm going to stream this. I'm not positive. It's your kind of movie, but give it a, give it a chance, Jay. Okay. Yeah. I need, you to. need to stretch your butterfly wings from time to time. <laughs> That's right. That's right. No, I've, I've heard good things. So yeah, I'll check it out. Plus, I mean, who doesn't like Mike Flanagan? Yeah, um, what, am nobody I? doesn't like Mike. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's like Sarah Lee. Yeah, I mean, uh, next to Gerald's game, I mean, my favorite one of his is still Absentia, which, oh, okay. oh, man, I think that was fantastic. That that movie, even though it's pretty low rent, so to speak, you know, um, yeah, it, it, I still think it's scary, and that's that's on Amazon Prime right now. If people want to check out Absentia, I mean, I would say that this is not typically my type of film i would say it's kind of closer to absentia and oculus which are not which are my less favorite of his films i i enjoy um hush and charles game much more but mm-hmm. i still i still liked this one it's a it's a solid entry into filmography particularly if it were to come where it actually fell <laughs> you know like between oculus and hush essentially so um you could see it as just kind of a stepping stone to where he's at now. Yeah. So, so what rating range are you talking on this one then? 
Um, for me, I would give this up in the 7.5 range and I would say stream it. Okay, that's good. I think that's a great rating. All right, I'm sold. <laughs> uh, I'm on it. Okay, Josh, now we had a couple of mini reviews we wanted to talk about and uh, one that is pretty necessary um, to at least mention, and that's the uh, Cloverfield Paradox, which this has some interesting background. Do you want to tell the listeners that or you want me to do it? Okay, just tell me if I leave anything out. So for the longest time now, right, we've been hearing about this third Cloverfield movie. Well, actually, we've been hearing about a number of Cloverfield movies, if we're being honest. But there was one called The, the God Particle, right, which is, mm-hmm. which is this film. You know, because we've all heard that title. We've been referring to it as that. And um, what was really cool was I was watching the Super Bowl. Not much of a Super Bowl fan myself, but I like the food and the commercials. (laughs) And basically, I was like, I I love to watch the movie trailers. And I was getting texts from our friends, Josh, that, hey, I heard that they're going to have the next Cloverfield movie ready on Netflix. It'll stream and be you know, released after the Super Bowl. And I was like, yeah, right, you know. And, <laughs> and they were showing trailers for the Cloverfield Paradox. And um, and it was like coming soon. And I'm like, see, that's not real. But then, sure enough, as soon as the Super Bowl ended, they showed another trailer and they said, you know, available now on Netflix or whatever. And so that same night, right after the Super Bowl, of course, <laughs> I, I streamed it. Did you stream it that same night, Josh? I did. I wasn't watching the Super Bowl, so I was just uh, waiting for Cloverfield to release. But okay. <laughs> I did watch it that night. Yep. Yeah, I was. I was a skeptic, but but anyways. Um, so, in terms of, and and I'm not going to say a lot about this film. And it's not. I, I really. You were, you already reviewed this on Movie Podcast Weekly. We should say, and I reviewed this on Movie Streamcast. So right. I'm guessing we both dug into it pretty deeply on those shows and this is just a mini review, but exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I, and and in fact, I mean, I didn't talk about it a ton over there, but if, if listeners haven't heard either of those two shows, you know, I think that it's this brand new animal. I know people appreciate it. it. It, I know our friends on the network have appreciated it, but, and I think it's a great film. It's one of those things where I wish that this film were separate from the whole Cloverfield thing because I love the original Cloverfield. And then um, 10 Cloverfield Lane I also loved. And it was, um, you know, a different animal. But but this is a different animal still. And that, that really kind of bugs me. It bugs me how this film's relationship is to the other two. And I know that I'm in the minority there, so that probably annoys people. I'm sorry. But it's it's like it's too far in the fantasy realm for me. Uh, like so, it, it goes too did far. You think this was watchable if it's not connected to those films? Oh yeah, definitely. I mean, I'd recommend it to anybody. But I guess I was just disappointed for the you know for a Cloverfield type sequel. But otherwise, I think it's a really fun, cool little sci-fi flick for sure. I'd say the exact opposite of that. I would say <laughs> there's some definitely some cool sci-fi horror elements and it, it it does it does a couple of original things most of it we've seen before i think what the best part about this movie is how it connects the cloverfield franchise because although i liked both of those films i liked 10 cloverfield land better as i mentioned earlier in the show i don't love the creature design on the original monster mm. but um yeah you know 
I think what this film finally does is give those other movies context. You know, this, those movies don't really have any reason to, to both be called Cloverfield is what I would say. And now it all makes sense to me like, Oh, okay. That's why that's how these fit together. And I, and I don't think we're seeing the full picture. I think they, they did a bad job of advertising it as, did you ever wonder, you know, where these other movies came from? And this is your answer. That's not correct. But what I think it does is it shows, it gives you enough to see in which, what way these worlds can link. And it Mm -hmm. also gives you enough to see how much bigger this universe could be and where it could go from here. Right. And I love that. I love that it gives, I don't know. I know actually, I know horror fans really diverge on this idea of explaining the backstory, mm-hmm. especially with the monster people. Some people would rather just never know where the monster came from or why it's there. I don't know if it's because of my interest in mystery novels and whodunits and <laughs> crime procedurals, but I love, I love exposition and I love hearing the detective say, and this is how it all happened. Right. And, and that, so I actually love that element of this. I, that to me is the stuff I really get off on is this connective tissue between these films and how this movie, in, in my opinion, makes the other two films work as a cohesive whole, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. And, and Ryan on, uh, of geek cast live podcast and movie podcast weekly, he, he feels that way too, and and I can de- definitely see that. But I'm I'm kind of with, and I like what you said about some people don't like when things are explained further. And I think yeah. to me, yeah, that was one aspect that bothered me is how like, um, I mean, Ryan feels like that really made it freer and more expansive. But for me, it just I don't want to say it cheapened it, but it really undercut um, the wonder. Like I I don't. I guess it's just it's silly to say it, but I I just I don't like I reject the explanation, <laughs> I reject the premise yeah. of it all, and I I just don't like I it. It's it's just not my taste, is what it is. I think it does both actually. You know, I think it both. Um, what was the first word you said? Not cheapens it, but um, it mm-hmm. it it does lose some of the wonder. Mm-hmm. because in the first film, you've got this giant monster that comes out of nowhere. You have no idea where, where it's from. In the second film, you're trapped in this bunker. You don't even know if the sci-fi elements are real in the second film. They might very well be a figment of this guy's imagination. Mm-hmm. And so to now very clearly say, no, it is science fiction based. This is exactly how it works. Mm-hmm. I can definitely see why that would take away some of the, the magic and wonder for you. At the same time, I think Ryan's also right. This really does build a concrete universe that is massive. And so, as I said on movie podcast, movie streamcast, Mm -hmm. you know, it it provides both cohesion and expansion of the Cloverfield universe at once, which I think is so cool. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I see that. And, um, you know, I, I don't want to, I can't go into this very deeply and there's a total explanation for this as well. But like in terms of, like the way things looked, like the props and the sets and so forth, mm-hmm. and like the first Cloverfield, and then in the second Cloverfield, and then in this, um, I mean, I there's a a really good explanation for all this, but it remind it just reminded me of like the difference 
in um, Independence Day and then Independence Day Resurgence. Like, <laughs> and, and, and I guess I never saw Resurgence. <laughs> okay, well, you were smart, yeah, but but yeah, I mean, I, it's just yeah, so that's another thing. I almost I feel like it doesn't even like fit aesthetically, like in terms of its appearance and so forth, and and it explains why. But you know, I just don't like it. But but still, Josh. Having said all that, like Nay saying, because I. I still gave it a, a seven out of ten for the sci-fi horror um, type film that it is, and I still think people should stream it on Netflix. I just don't love it as a Cloverfield cool. film. What do you say? I think I gave it an eight. I can't remember what I said on Movie Streamcast. We really went nuts on that show. You know, t- we talked about this for about a half an hour. But um, cool. Who was on there with yeah, you I on th- that? William. Oh, great. Okay. So we had. Uh, we had a really good conversation about it. I, I think another thing that's interesting, you know, not to give away our entire review over there, but I, you know, I think what's cool that we're seeing is that each of these films is a different genre. And so mm-hmm. that's fascinating to me. And I think, and we know already what the fourth film has been, has been completed already. Mm-hmm. So if you don't want to know the genre of Cloverfield four, this is a minor spoiler warning, but it's a world war two set film. Mm-hmm. And so that all makes sense. Like we, I couldn't fathom how that was possible before I saw Cloverfield Paradox. Now I get why that's possible. Having seen Cloverfield Paradox, mm-hmm. and I think that's really awesome. I love the idea that it would be so cool to see a universe, a franchise where every single movie was a different genre, and yet they were all connected by this overarching sci-fi <laughs> element. I don't know. That's just, <laughs> that's just unique. I, yeah, I love I love filmmaking experiments, even if they don't always result in the most watchable films. Right. I'm a defender of Gus Van Sant's Psycho. I love Lars von <laughs> Trier's The Five Obstructions. I like. I that just one. like people doing crazy stuff with movies and seeing if it works. You know. Yeah, I like, and I give you that a hundred percent. I mean, I admire the creativity in this, the artistry. I mean, it's really a neat concept. It's novel. It's it's fairly unique, but at the same time, on the other hand, it also you know you could you could argue that the Transformers movies do this a little bit. I mean, this last Transformers is uh, King Arthur, so <laughs> well, that's I mean, different though. It's totally different. I will also say um, <laughs> that, that I, I think another reason I theorize why you don't like this film as much mm-hmm, mm-hmm. is that it, you have to. Um get into the whole ARG element of it to really know what the film is about. Like a lot of what I was talking about and a lot of what is explained is not actually in the movie. It's Mm -hmm. all like, it's all this online, you know, viral marketing websites and crazy, you know, alternate reality gaming experiences that the producers JJ Abrams loves that stuff, you know, and as far as I know from you, you're not the kind of guy that's like, mm-hmm. yeah, you have to read the comic book prequel first to understand what oh, where, yeah. what's going on in the movie. I am. That's not your type of thing. I am strongly vehemently opposed to that. Uh, Richard Kelly does that kind of crap all the time. Like, like that director, he, he was like, um, I remember like on, on films like, who was it? Southland Tales or something mm-hmm. like that. He would be like, oh yeah, well I have this whole other graphic novel that explains it. It's like, bro, you should explain it in the movie. I, I just think it should be able to stand on its own if you're expecting it. Otherwise, otherwise if people pay 
to see your movie and you've got supplemental material, which is ridiculous to me, then he should hand that out to you at the theater. I mean, I I just think you would. How did, do you even do you know all the stuff that happened with the first Cloverfield movie? <laughs> you would hate. I think you would hate Cloverfield if you knew about all the stuff that <laughs> that you're supposed to know when you're watching the movie that's not available to the general public. Well, I mean, we ta- I knew some of we it. Talked I talked about this on on movie streamcast, but there was actually. <laughs> You're going to hate this so bad. You know how they used to do those geocaching was like really popular yeah, for a little while. Totally. They, you actually had to go out geocaching, find buried in the dirt, like a jump drive that, that contained information on the backstory of what was happening in the first film. <laughs> that is, that is such, I mean, okay, that's marketing. That's very clever and creative marketing. So as a guy who works in marketing, I'm impressed by that. But but in terms of like a, a person who is is going to give somebody's story a chance, like that is such BS. I I freaking hate that. So well, you're right. I, uh, so Yeah, I think you have a very narrow definition of what a movie is. And what I would just suggest is I don't think J.J. Abrams is interested in making standalone movies, although he has. And that's all like I would say. And, you know, and he's, of course, I'm the director of any of these movies, but he is the George Lucas guiding force behind the scenes. He's the man behind the curtain with with all of these Cloverfield movies. And I think what he is doing is creating an interactive game in which cinema plays a role, but is not the only element. And he's, he's creating a type of franchise that has never existed before in the history of the world. And probably won't ever again <laughs> because of this, but I don't know. I mean, again, yeah, it's not just a great, they're not great standalone movies that, you know, right. But they're, all, they're just not intended to be that. So is there any part of you that can be like, well, okay, he's trying something different. This isn't what, this isn't what I like, but, you know, you can you can you validate it in your mind at, at all? Mm, let me let me just I'm I'm trying really hard here. <laughs> I <laughs> I appreciate uh, the the extent to which I can appreciate it has to do with the marketing creativity, like from that aspect. But, but think of it as not marketing. What if it's just how he's telling? This is how he's choosing to tell the story. Then I think it's asinine. I I do. I think it's absolutely. <laughs> Like the dumbest thing. I mean, it's like, it's like, okay, guys, I've got this story that I want to tell everybody, but um, it's in pieces in fortune cookie fortune. So you got to buy all, all like 100 fortune cookies and, and, and break them open and then read it. You know, like, like for example, yeah. let me give an example. You remember back in the day when we, and, and this is a little off the rails, but we buy GI Joe's. You you'd mm-hmm. purchase the character. They'd have like their backpacks and their yeah. weapons. I know exactly where you're going with. I this. know. I'm not gonna. I know you do. See, because you're a dad. I'm not gonna. And you buy yeah. toys for your kids. Now, if you buy yeah. a toy for your kid, you'll get the action figure, and then you'll get like yeah. a leg. Man, <laughs> f that leg. That makes me so mad. Because what they want you to do is buy all the other action figures, so you can put together this Voltron type character. You know yeah. that that pieces together, and that is such BS. That makes me furious. Yeah. So, like, we gave our kids, you know, the new Star Wars figures for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, a few of them, and they came with like this Force glove something i don't even know what it does like some kind of 
thing you get that can like make it move by itself. I believe like, you know, give like action punching arms, but I just threw that in the garbage because I'm like, I'm not going to collect all 12. Right. You know, and I'm not going to, so my kids won't even know this existed. And then my wife went to Cuba recently. And so she bought the kids like a little present, a little tiny, like dollar store gift to open every day. And I wrote him a letter to read every day because she wasn't going to have internet or anything the whole time she was in Cuba. And, and one of the toys was the new Luke Skywalker, or I should say old Luke Skywalker action figure. And that's when my son's like, that was the first time he'd ever seen the box because the other ones we had slipped into stockings and stuff. Right. Yeah. So he's like, what is force link? (laughs) And then my kids are like, what? And I was like, Oh crap. And then, I run over there and they're like looking at the box. They're like, Hey, that other figure I have has force link. And they're like trying to figure out what it is. I'm just like, no, no, nothing more to see here. Give me that box. <laughs> I know. Right. Uh, so, so Josh, that sentiment, that feeling that you felt there. I mean, that that's how I feel about this. It's like, um, you know, okay. So like when, when they release like the hair I, and I'm, I'm sorry, listeners, if people are annoyed by this conversation, but like, you know, if if it's like a book series, like the Harry Potter books, which I wasn't into, but I'm just saying that's fine. It's like the next book is coming out. But if I'm if I'm purchasing the work itself, and then the director says something, oh yeah, well that didn't make sense. Well, if you gotta have, you gotta know the graphic novel as well, and then that enhances it. I mean, I just I just want to like tell Richard call BS on Richard Kelly for stuff like that. Let's just call this not not movies. Uh, not they're not a movie franchise. They are they are a experiential media franchise, though. You know what I mean? Okay. Like, well. let's just you just have to think three dimensionally, Jay. <laughs> Here's the thing. Here's the other thing about it is that um, I didn't do all this ARG stuff. I don't have the time for that. We're adults with children. We don't like who has time to do all this stuff, right? But I found two awesome YouTube videos. One that explains the entire ARG for Cloverfield. One that explains the entire ARG for 10 Cloverfield Lane. And I'm sure that same YouTuber who has videos I really like, and there's a bunch of this crap online. Most of it sucks. But I watched enough of them (laughs) that I found a guy who is awesome and succinctly explains the entire, you know, six-month advertising viral campaign in six minutes. And then it's, like, super enjoyable. Like, I can just sit there and watch a six-minute... Uh, you know, YouTube video and be like, wow, that there's so much thought put into this. He cares like Richard Kelly, JJ Abrams. These guys really care about these larger stories that they're telling, you know, they're or, just not satisfying f- as filmmakers. <laughs> or, okay. Or, or they're supplementing um, storytelling that was incomplete. They, they, maybe they're, they're retroactively, you know, they're retconning and fixing things. Maybe. I mean, I'm just saying, that gives them a lot of room to um, be sloppy. But there are shots that are in the original Cloverfield that were never explained that people have been theorizing about what they meant for years that are, that are paid off in Cloverfield paradox. Mm-hmm. Right. That's so cool. That is that. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. That, I give you, I, I give that to you, but it's not like the kind of thing I love. I'm not like, I don't like VR. I don't like role playing. I don't get into any of the supplemental stuff like that, but I appreciate it. Like I'm not, I'm not a true comic book geek, but I appreciate it. Like I like these worlds. I like that they exist and I'm happy for people to find joy in them. And I'm interested as an kind of an outside observer to say, Oh, that was awesome. 
Like, that's that's cr- very creative. I like your cosplay, sir. <laughs> I don't have cosplay, but I like your cosplay. Yeah, right. <laughs> so that's anyway. That's funny. That's okay. all. Okay, so that's that's a little bit about our thoughts on uh, the Cloverfield Paradox. And uh, let's talk just briefly about Insidious, the last key. Did you, did you see that one? I did. I wanted to see this until I heard your review and then I was not going to go see it. <laughs> I know. I mean, here's the thing. I try, I try really hard not to be dismissive and jerky because I'll tell you what, the first Insidious trilogy is great. I think, I mean, I think even though I'm not even in the supernatural films, I think those films are pretty freaky. I mean, the first Insidious is um, truly like a really high-rated film for me. What knocked it down, though, is the Darth Maul lookalike type character. <laughs> I can't help but that. Sure. It reminds me of Darth Maul, and I think that's that just bugs me so bad. But aside from that, like Lin Shay, and I mean, I think these are cool, and I can even I can even tolerate the you know the two comedic um, science sidekick guys. Yeah, you, you, you know. Yeah. Well, my thing is, is I Lin Shay is my favorite element of the other movies. Yes. Yes. And okay. so to see that she was essentially getting her own film, that right. this was just going to be about her like backstory and everything. Mm-hmm. That is, I'm super psyched about that as a concept for one of these movies. Right. I yeah, I agree with that, and that's the big reason why I um went to see it. I mean, plus given the strength of the. The trilogy, you know, I, I felt really good about that and I was excited. And so this came out, uh, Insidious The Last Key was released on January 5th. And right now we're recording this episode on February 15th. So what is that like? A, you know, a little over a month. Honestly, mm-hmm. Josh, I almost completely forget that movie. <laughs> like, like that's, <laughs> I, and, and I feel terrible because I don't want to be dismissive. I want to give this movie its proper due in a mini review form. So let me, let me, let me do my best here. It's directed by Abbott, Adam Robitel, and it's a PG-13 horror film. I just want to put that out there. And, and Lynn Shay, as always, she's wonderful. But as you said, it, it does give us um, her backstory into like her, her own childhood, her own mm-hmm. uh, personal demons and, and, and haunting and so forth. And, um, and that's, you know, that's fine and that's good, but then, like, when we get into the monster and stuff, it, it's just I'm I'm trying to think of what my main my main gripes were. I'm trying to even remember it because, but I remember. Here's what I remember: I remember rolling my eyes a lot and feeling like, "Oh, come on, guys! Like, I, I just I don't even want this film to exist now. I'm gonna forget about it. That's why I don't remember it right now because I decided I'm gonna forget about this film so I can just remember the trilogy <laughs> as it is." I mean, maybe you feel differently, like, cause like the little, the key fingers thing, you see that in the trailer and you're like, oh, okay, that's, you know, that's creepy. Right. And, and you yeah. see in the trailer looks creepy, but then you watch the movie and, um, I, I, like, for example, I'm trying to articulate this, but do you know how, let me give you a parallel. You know how in the Pirates of the Caribbean movies, <laughs> I know those aren't horror, but do you know how they would make up stuff, like make up tons of pirate lore that doesn't even exist? They made up all these pro- <laughs> all these proper nouns, and it's like, oh yeah, well you just got to get the you know the the shark key to the blah blah blah, and then sure, and then, sure. you know it's just so contrived. 
Well, that's kind of what happens in this film. You have like, you have this battle going on in this supernatural realm with the supernatural being, and you know, Lin Shay's like, you got to make two shake, two shakes of the chicken leg and run around. I mean, it's not as silly as that, but it's just like, come on, guys, this is so contrived. Anyways, um. I'm sorry to be dismissive. I hate to be a jerk, but I, I just did not enjoy this film at all. It was a three out of ten for me. I gave it an avoid, and I do not even remember it, to be honest. But I did see wow. it in the theater, and I stayed awake, and I love the original Insidious trilogy. So, Josh, I'd be interested in having you see it so you could tell me why why I was too dismissive or too critical, because there were other people that liked it. Well, I think most of the people I saw agree with you, to be actually. But okay, um, well, good. I don't. I don't think you're outside, you know, the community necessarily on this one. Okay. I mean, three is low. I, you know, well, but three is very low. <laughs> I, I would love for you to see it and just tell me like how you felt about it. But, but I don't I know. Mean, I love. I mean, see, for I mean, here's a just for starters. You tolerate the Lee One L, you know. Mm-hmm. Angus Sampson characters. Well, those are my favorite. Those are like some of my favorite stuff about the movies. You know, I love that. Yeah. That's, that's, that's definitely probably we're coming from just different places. Yeah. I get, I get you on that. That's, that's fair. That's fair to say, but I wonder how you would feel with the way this, this unfolds. I never saw part three, but I heard I didn't need to because it was a prequel. Does that play into part four at all? Um, I, I don't remember. I mean, people would be mad if I tried to answer that question. (laughs) So, so I'm not even going to try to answer it because (laughs) I honestly, I just, I don't love, everybody knows I don't love paranormal supernatural films a lot, but uh, you know, if, if they're creepy, you know, I'll get behind it. But this one was just kind of dumb. So Anyway, if you do see it, let me know what you thought about it. I was trying to find um what I wrote about in my tweet. If I even tweeted about it, I probably didn't even tweet about it because I was like, whatever. <laughs> Anyways. All right. So <clears throat> there you go. All right. Anything else we're going to talk about before we get to our listeners of the year? No, just, uh, you know, I think women, you know, we're celebrating strong female led films this month we're celebrating strong female directors this month but really women are an extremely essential part of horror movies and the horror audience and so you know as, as of course always happens when you have something like this you see a lot of people responding well like you know every month is women in horror month or whatever and i do think that's true to some degree like there's mm-hmm. there's plenty of good female horror all year round so it's it's nice to have an excuse to you kind of make yourself aware of it and really think about it, I guess. In, in terms of a female-driven uh, television series that I'm, I'm curious about, I, I just stumbled upon accidentally when uh, doing my research for this ep- episode. There's a Prime, an Amazon Prime original series called Absentia. Yeah. And I wonder if it's Mike Flanagan related. I wonder if it's related to that world at all. I I saw that. And because of how much I love the original film, I was really intrigued. But I don't believe it is because as I read up on it a little bit, it didn't seem to be um, related. I could be wrong, but I don't think it is. But but yeah. Yeah, thanks well, for that bringing that up. I mean, for free on Amazon Prime, just in case. <laughs> I'm glad you brought that up just to kind of make a distinction between the two. Yeah, the 
that new absentee is not what I was referring to earlier. It was the 2011 film is really indie and, you know, modest budget, but great. Yeah. I mean, each year on a horror movie podcast, what we want to do, we, we love to recognize um, the listeners. And I think Josh, first of all, we should just say, I mean, we have tremendous support from our community. I can't believe how kind and gracious. I mean, for the most part, we have like just incredible um, positive feedback and support and just people who uh, listen to the shows and actually enjoy hearing us ramble on and fight about stuff. I mean, I'm always shocked. I'm like, wow, people like people actually listen to this. It's hilarious. Three hours. (laughs) Just, you know what I mean? That's like crazy. But anyway, we we're grateful for that. But some listeners, Josh, some listeners go, way the hell above and beyond like to really to really help you know contribute to us in our community and so um what we wanted to do don't we have um we couldn't decide so we had to award like six people listeners of the year this year right (laughs) yeah i mean part of that is also well i think i think i have like three reasons that is the case one is you said there's just so many good people right two um we've kind of changed what the listener of the year means. And because we've created the horror cinema awards last year and allowed past listener of the year winners, Juan, David and, and uh, Dino to participate along with last year's winner Kagan. I thought, well, we should create slots on our horror cinema awards jury for a good section of our listeners. Right. And mm-hmm. so, yeah. Um, our, I guess our thinking here is that these people will in the year that they win listener of the year, we'll get to vote in the horror cinema awards jury. So that's just a cool little thing. And, and it, to me, it validated having more slots. And then lastly, who's going to beat Kagan. If we, if we don't have more slots is just going to be Kagan every year. So <laughs> I know because, because we decided, right. That people actually have to be unseated, you know, like I uh, like if they continue yeah. to serve uh, as Kagan serves, just, like such a a great such contributor. A high level. I mean, yeah. yeah I mean, I, I, people won't even believe how much he did for our 2017 meetup in Salt Lake City. That was insane, insane what he did. Like, and so we're we're really grateful for that. And he coordinated so, all of the audio that you guys hear, and of course, other people were involved. You know, mm-hmm. in it, you know, within our, the podcasting community, William and everyone. But Kagan really took the brunt of what that meetup you know yeah. required and, and so yeah and, and helped with the venue and he helped and he brought uh quartet macabre and they played and uh, man it was just fantastic Not to mention he creates original music for almost every episode of the podcast <laughs> yeah seriously <laughs> like he creates our you know special christmas jingle and with the horror cinema awards he's going to create original music for it and he redid fred ingram's music for the beginning of the show of course and just this episode, he did the music for the classic horror movie minute and the screaming online section. He mm-hmm. composed that music. For it, so that's right. You know, yeah, it's insane. And so anyway, no one there, there would be no more listeners of the year uh, <laughs> if we didn't make more slots, essentially. That's right. That's right. So so obviously, Kagan Breitenbach, 2018 listener of the year. He is among them. Who else do we have here, Josh? Well, we wanted to give a big thank you to our listeners who designed the Horror Movie Podcast t-shirts. They're for listeners by listeners, right? And so uh, P. 
Peter Strain, an armored foe, Willis. Uh, those guys will also definitely be mm-hmm. listeners of the year this year. And yes. uh, we want to include them on the horse and awards jury. Mm-hmm. Who else there, Jay? Uh, okay. Well, of course. And, and you know what? This is kind of hilarious that these two, like for whatever reason, do you remember, did you ever watch wrestling, Josh? Uh, I mean, not like you, but yeah. Okay. <laughs> I know, I know, I know. Some people are embarrassed. I don't care. I love it. I love it. Anyways, no, I'm not embarrassed. I just, they're, you know, no. they're, right. they're like, like <laughs> I said about comic books and role playing games, I don't partake, but I appreciate it. So, <laughs> okay. All right. I, I get you. I get you. So, so there were these, there were these wrestlers. Uh, I'm just, I'm just trying to pull it up because I'm, a, I'm a little rusty on this, and I'm, I'm a little ashamed. Willis Wheeler is going to be griping at me about this. Okay, yeah. yeah, they're the wrestlers called the Powers of Pain, right? Um, the, the okay. Warrior and Barbarian, I believe. Anyway, mm-hmm. um, these, these two listers remind me of those guys just because they always come after me, and they, they, they're really strong, um, strong voices in the community, <laughs> and they have great <laughs> insights. So I, I often feel like I'm getting power bombed by Sal Roma and Red Cap Jack, the powers of pain in the HMP community. And so these two guys, they they've done a ton for us too. Like um, Sal Roma, let's just note <laughs> how how much child supply child's play support did he give us during those episodes? It was incredible because, as we mentioned several times, none of us really had the background. <laughs> and so we, you know, we're covering these horror classics that deserve a very deep dive with very little, you know, knowledge in that, in that case that we were bringing to the table on our own part. I mean, we, we did our, our best. We did a lot of research. We watched the films while some of us watched. Well, them. some of us slept through them. <laughs> <laughs> but but really, it was nice to have, you know, listener comments as it always is. And Sal was really the guy, our go to guy every single episode you listen back to those we would read an extended review of the film we were covering from sal to give kind of a fan's perspective on the franchise so Mm -hmm. he was absolutely crucial to our child's play coverage this year yes and sal roma also contributed to our 31 days of horror blog writing which is a big help Mm -hmm. and we love those contributions there and i believe he also did some writing for you around universal monsters cast right yeah i guess which i guess shouldn't necessarily qualify him for listener of the year here but just in my world he's been very helpful (laughs) well yeah and it's a sister show it's a it's a fellow horror show on the network so 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 that's good and then red cap jack also uh contributed in the 31 days of horror writing and um and and Red Cap Jack was really the one who initiated um that interview with Adam Green, right, Josh? Yeah, yeah. He's as you know, I quoted him several times during that podcast, and it's because he's a major Adam Green fan, and he was the one who reached out to Adam Green on Twitter, asked him to be on our show, you know, and it kind of got the ball rolling. Thanks to Red Cap Jack, a lot of people liked and retweeted that tweet, and mm-hmm. it was enough to get Adam Green's attention enough that he contacted us and asked to be on the show. And it was just, it was great. That's amazing. And, and we got a nice uh, Leslie Vernon shout out from uh, red cap Jack as well. So yeah, that was cool. <clears throat> yeah, we appreciate it. And then uh, last, but certainly not least, we were so impressed this year with uh slashly G tell him what yeah. she did. Well, she does all kinds of great stuff. She's on the comments a lot here at horrormoviepodcast.com. She's on Twitter a lot. She she went to um, 
the Myers House NC and <laughs> and was repping horror movie podcast there this year. But the big thing that we really were kind of blown away by is that she was so cool. She bought HMP t-shirts for two other listeners. Yes. <laughs> I know. Who does like, that? That's, that's incredible. Yeah. yeah. Love that. Just incredibly charitable. And we just, yeah, we love people like that in the community. So thanks, Lashley. It's cool enough that you bought a shirt. Cool enough that you bought someone else's shirt, but that you bought other people our podcast shirt. Just it's uh that's listener of the year material right there. <laughs> yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. Plain and simple. Yes. Of course, now, there's a million other people who are also amazing, but you know, we have to draw a line somewhere. That's right. But I did want to give a special shout out and thanks to his dinner is in the oven. He kind of put us in touch with Chris Peck over initially and and uh, you know, introduced Chris to, to our show. And, and a lot mm-hmm. of people uh, actually, he was telling me he's, he's introduced a lot of people to this podcast. So thank you for that. That's, that's one of the nicest things anyone could ever do for us is just tell a friend about the podcast. Um, but his dinners in the oven also donated to a giveaway. You know, we had a lot of these people that donated to giveaways. They had tickets to a movie, big movie premiere. They were going to make it to, or they had a digital copy of a film or, something that they weren't going to use, but they wanted it to go to good use and be in good hands. And they donated it to the HMP community. So thank you. His dinner is in the ever for that. We had other people like Sean Taylor donated to a giveaway. He also bought a bunch of shirts. Super mm-hmm. cool. Dark Mark, of course, has always been very supportive of everything we do. We love Dark Mark. Yes. He also bought shirts. He was also involved with that Leslie Vernon shout out uh, with Red Cap Jack. Mm-hmm. He also did some UMC writing, which which we appreciated. Yes. And then there were a bunch of people that contributed in with that 31 days of Halloween writing as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we had, um, uh, for, exa- for example, we had Trey Whetstone. We had Ian West. Um, we had a... Uh, Greg the Gray Man, and we had Frank the Fiend. Um, they all they all contributed to the writing, which we appreciated. And and of course Juan um, has has always been a, a big supporter. And um, my yeah. I, I call him affectionately. He he actually calls himself this to me, Josh. So just so you don't think I'm being mean to Juan, he he calls okay. himself my favorite troll because he comes after me <laughs> like nobody's business. Um, but no, he, so if those other guys are what were they the Tower of Power, yeah, the Powers of Pain, Powers of Pain, yeah, he's like their promoter, the Asian guy that's uh, like their promoter, Mister Fuji, yeah, exactly, <laughs> there <you> go. exactly. <laughs> so, and by the way, Juan, that's not a slight because Mister Fuji was a wrestler too. I mean, he participated in uh, WrestleMania Five, even just saying Willis Wheeler. You didn't know I knew that that kind of info. <laughs> Blam. Anyway, so Juan also was someone who donated to a giveaway for the listeners. He sent us all those awesome pins and he helped initiate the uh, Ghoulish Gary sticker giveaway. So <laughs> thanks to Juan for that. Mm-hmm. And then lastly, Shane the Maniac Cop. He also donated to a giveaway of the new film It. So thank you to Shane for that. And sorry, awesome Josh. people. I, I sorry. Yeah. I apologize. I have to throw in one more because. Um, this is, yeah. you know, we all, you, you can't say you have favorites, but you know, this, this guy is one of my favorite listeners. I'm not even joking. Uh, Jason Dragon is one of the, the biggest and most staunch supporters of a horror movie podcast. 
he uh, he wears our shirt every time he goes to like in, any sort of a, a convention and meets with celebrities. He gets pictures with celebrities in in wearing our shirt, which is so oh, cool. He is always yeah. representing, and he 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 sends me stuff, and uh, I'm just really grateful for Jason Dragon and his support. He's the of real course, deal. a lot of our awesome HMP listeners wear their shirts to horror movies and stuff. And yes, we appreciate you spreading the word. Thank you. We have so many people who sent us gifts. That's uncalled for, but amazing. So, you know, thank you for that. All of our patrons over at Patreon. We cannot thank you enough. Anyone who has literally left a review on iTunes. Mm-hmm. We appreciate that. I mean, that really helps. And so tell a friend Leave a review on iTunes. You're a listener of the year in our hearts, just not on paper. So <laughs> <laughs> that's that's hilarious. Yeah. Um, Thank you so much to all of you. But Kagan, Peter, Willis, not Willis Wheeler, Armored Foe, uh, Sal, uh-huh. Roma, Red Cap, Jack, and Slashly G. You guys are the listeners of the year for 2017. And all of you are invited to vote in this year's Horror Cinema Awards. That's right. That's right. And speaking of the Horror Cinema Awards, Joshua, um, that's coming up as our next episode, right? I'm super excited about it because as we talked about in our top 10 episode, you know, a movie can very easily get edged off your top 10 list, maybe even off films you consider to be good list, but have something, some element that should be celebrated because it's an innovation of writing or camera technique or makeup effects or whatever it is. And so I just love cinema appreciation essentially. And so I think the horror cinema awards are a great way to honor movies that don't often get honored. Of course, this year, a couple of them are going mainstream and we're happy about that, but there's still a lot of other excellent films uh, that we want to, you know, Give their due. Give, mm-hmm. their, give their just due. So yeah, and I'm I'm you know by the end of the year the top ten I didn't get to watch everything by then but I'm really busting it to try to uh, get all that watch so we can you know chat about those films as well. So yeah. so that's coming up in our next episode horror cinema awards. We're excited about that and it uh, coincides uh, more or less with the with one of my favorite events of the year and that's the Academy Awards. Uh, which right. is on March 4th. And so it's kind of about the same time. Um, and I would say, I know a lot of people don't like the Oscars, you know, or at least like to complain about them, but let's, let's at least show our support for the horror films that made, made it in there. And, you know, if you don't want to tune in, maybe set your DVR, I don't know, send out a tweet, something so that people know in the industry, in the mainstream world, that horror fans support you know, their films. Yeah. The, the including us matters. What if, what if what we did, and this is just an idea, I'm sure other people have thought of it, but what if we like tweeted at the Academy or whatever, or Oscars or whatever their Twitter handle was and, and like reached out to them and just said, Hey, we're, it's so cool. You got these horror films in there and listed the horror films that are that are at least recognized i mean i mean i think that would be super cool i don't know how much of it would move the needle but as you said just to let them know that you know we're behind that i think that's cool and thank the filmmakers for being horror directors honestly i mean i think they're under a tremendous amount of pressure to be honest like i think someone in jordan peele's situation Mm -hmm. we've seen him use the word social thriller and we'll talk about actually about a lot about this on the next episode 
the you know the the dynamics of 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 awards and horror cinema but i think he, there's a lot of pressure on him to say it's a thriller and we even saw him kind of coin the term social thriller this year even though if you actually look back at the beginning he was calling it a horror movie from the start we know he's a major horror fan mm-hmm. but he's they're under a lot of pressure you know it, it it hurts careers or and sometimes pigeonholes people to say they're horror filmmakers, you know, and yeah. he wants the respect because he's made a great movie, but he can't go on Good Morning America and horror look horror makes people uncomfortable, mm-hmm. and they don't want to say horror. And and we have a there's actually a whole um, Twitter movement that I've seen come by i don't i don't know who exactly is behind it so i apologize um to whoever is but there's this there's this movement to try to get guillermo del toro and and jordan peele to say the word horror from the pulpit if they win an award like wow from the from the stage trying to get them to say the word horror and so there's this hashtag campaign hashtag say horror they've just been bombarding jordan peele and and Guillermo del Toro with, and while I appreciate the sentiment, I don't know if bombarding those guys is really the important thing. I think what is maybe more important <laughs> is like you're saying, contact the Academy mm-hmm. and create a world where it is safe for them to say horror. Right. You know, and it does, and it isn't this difficult, you know, thing that's incumbent on them to do. They've made great movies. Like let's show that the horror community mm-hmm. cares, you know? And, and to be honest, I mean, Come on. Sometimes the word horror sounds like whore. So. Yeah. <laughs> and, and say whore. Say whore. Say whore. <laughs> this is horror movie podcast. Um, anyways. And we get that a lot of people could care less about mainstream acceptance and the Academy Awards. And I get it. Like, you're you're also right. But. We we love it. We're dead serious about horror movies, right? And we we want these movies to be recognized. Absolutely, I totally agree, hundred percent. I love it. So, um, okay, so that's coming up the next time here on this show, and we hope you will join us for the Horror Cinema Awards. It'll be very fun. And then uh, I also fun- want to just say it's not going to uh-huh. just be a retread of our top ten. We Correct. we go outside of our community to get jurors who are not part of our community mm-hmm. and who have different views on what the best films of the year are and what even constitutes a horror film. And so right. this is bigger than HMP. We want, we want this in the future to grow beyond HMP. This is, we're trying to get the depth and breadth of the horror community mm-hmm. represented here. Well said. I like exactly everything you said. I agree a hundred percent. Finally, Josh, as we wrap up episode 140. Then I just wanted to say, and I, I feel terrible, but I just wanted to put this out there. Um, Frank the Fiend, when we had mentioned Frank the Fiend, who wrote for uh, some of the, the you know, uh, 31 Days, um, right. he, he also sent me um, this documentary. It's from uh, Small Town Monsters, that, that series. It's The Mothman of Point Pleasant. Now, oh, cool. we've been we've been kicking around the idea of doing horror documentaries or horror related documentaries, and um, uh-huh. I don't know if we're going to end up doing that. But I'm gonna, Frank, I'm gonna save this. I have watched it already, and I, I, I really enjoyed it. I actually showed it to my son, and he was fascinated. It's really fun. It's called The Mothman of Point Pleasant. Really appreciate that. 
So anyways, if people want to check that out, it's a lot like, you know, it feels like one of those um, TV show documentary, like where they do the yeah. the mysteries, you know, uh, what what is the, but uh, it's a quiet town. Yeah. Ex- until trouble. Exactly. Exactly like that. But there are some scenes in it. And I'm like, well, that's, that's pretty creepy, you know, and my little son was, I mean, he was glued to the TV. So um, I appreciate that, Frank. Thank you. You know, we did cryptozoological horror part one a long time ago we talked about bigfoot and we had talked at that time about including things like the jersey devil and the wendigo and the and the mothman and but i I realized those are not exactly cryptozoological there's like another categorization for them but i would love to cover the mothman diaries and this whole mothman universe and um let's do it Um, and, and find the right topic so if people have suggestions about what a good themed episode would be around these types of phenomenon. I'd mm-hmm. love to hear it. Yeah, I'm with you. Even the comments at horrormoviepodcast.com. <laughs> That's right. Um, the last thing before people turn off this show, <laughs> I just want to put out. <laughs> I want to put out a little uh, shameless plug here, Josh. I I, uh, I I launched this little tiny solo cast. People probably think that's ridiculous. I can't help it. You know, we just love podcasting so much. We do stuff. Mm -hmm. Um, And I do this little solo cast called Considering the Cinema. And it's just for people who are like film nerds and like film criticism and reviews and history and stuff. Uh, So far, I only got two episodes out there and that's fine. But like in episode one, I talked about the sympathetic antagonist. And then in episode two, it's called A Very Scary Guy. And it's about uh, Luca Brazzi, or the guy who played Luca Brazzi in oh. The Godfather. And uh, yeah. talks about some of his history. Anyways, um, I hope people check that out. It's just at uh, consideringthecinema.com, and I'll have it linked in the show notes. What do you got for people to check out, Josh? Um, well, I'm on social media at Icarus Arts, Twitter, Facebook, Instagram. Um, we finally got movie streamcast going again on the right foot i'm really excited about the direction we're going with the show and as soon as we did that and had like four episodes in the can uh we got attacked by malware and our website's down and actually the universal monsters cast website is down right now as well i'm I'm hoping by the time people hear this that, that will all be ironed out but it may not be if there's anybody out there that has experience with like malware and stuff and you want to contact me find me on social media or you can email me at the wolfman josh at gmail.com i really appreciate it because uh the companies that host the sites are highway robbers and um they really try to take you for everything when something like this happens so I'd, i would love it if somebody could help me out on the back end a little bit but we are going to have both of those shows up and running soon unfortunately joel went through a move mm-hmm. and what little time he did have for podcasting you know, obviously I had to go first and foremost to Retro Movie Geek, which is on a tight schedule, whereas Universal Monsters Cast is fluctuating. But we do have a new episode of Universal Monsters Cast ready to go. Once the site's up again, we are ready to jump back into that show. A lot of fun stuff happening. And like you said, just complete and utter podcast addicts. And as soon as Joel is settled, which is going to be very soon now, you're actually also launching a very interesting, I think, I hope, to this audience, brand new video podcast where mm-hmm. Dave and Joel and I are going to be doing a YouTube channel uh, with what I think is a pretty fun concept. Yeah. Similar and along amazing. the lines of what uh, the monsters cast is. 
Yeah, that's super cool. I love that idea. That's what I thought you guys were referring to earlier in the show, and that's I'm pumped for that. So good stuff, Josh. Good stuff. So as promised much earlier in the episode, uh, we, we wanted to bring you a little spoiler section for the ritual. And uh, Dr. Shock is with us again <laughs> because we recorded this earlier. So uh, <laughs> l- let's open it up for spoilers. If you haven't seen the ritual on Netflix, um, we're going to get into heavy spoilers right now. So where do you guys want to start with this? Well, I, I want to start with that with that first scene in the in the cabin. Um, you know, with, with the four of them there, because honestly, the way it was going initially, I was like, oh, here we go. It's a, it's a dream sequence. Mm-hmm. And, and even after right. he wakes up, I'm still thinking that because all of a sudden now people are missing and the one guy that I don't know where he is, the other guy's in the corner, um, you know, crying out, um, and, it, and it's daytime. I mean, it's like bright daytime out there which a second ago it was not, or at least, you know, what seemed like a second ago it was not. So it, it really does keep throw you off kilter a bit as you're watching. And it acts as a trigger. Like we were saying, it acts as a trigger that, hey, something bad is about to go down because. Mm-hmm. Well, I have, I have a, a take on this. Um, so, yeah, at first I was like really kind of thrown by that because when he walks out of the he appears to walk out of the cabin into that that liquor store again mm-hmm. and in the middle of the woods i was super annoyed because i'm like okay i guess this is a dream but then it's not really a dream because you know he's he's bleeding and so forth and and so we learn though as the film progresses that this creature this beastly freak has some some manner of um one of its just you know how vampires like they have a, a way to lure people in and sexually be appealing mm-hmm. and stuff. I think this creature has a way to make people have these hallucina- hallucinations related to their, oh, yeah. you know, things that, you know, they're troubled or things that mean something to them, things that mm-hmm. they're, they have high emotions about. I think that's really where it, where it must lie is in something that they feel very emotionally strongly about. And, yeah. And, like and, they did that in Baskin. Uh, you know, a couple of years ago, that was like mm-hmm. a big thing. I mean, that's a, I guess that's a, something that like kind of demonic forces do a lot in, in horror films. Yeah. I just wanted to speak really quickly to the dream sequence. Cause I also was very disappointed when he walked out of the cabin door and into the, into the liquor store, just because it feels like, Oh, we've seen this a thousand times, but I will say by the time it ended, when the wall and I loved the way that scene ended, how the wall gets knocked over and then gets drug away through the woods and like the trees get right. all smashed. From, I was just right. like, that was cool. I've never seen that before. Right. And then you like, you mentioned he's bleeding pretty um, profusely. And yeah. then we see, it's just these variations on things I've seen a million times. And I think that's why I was really struggling through that section of the film. Cause it's like, Okay, I've never actually seen this depicted the way it is, and I really like the way they did it, but it also is such a typical scene that even though what they're doing with the guy naked and praying in front of this thing, wow, I've never seen that before. That was kind of crazy. Guy gets up and pees his pants and is kind of disoriented. Like, I've never really seen it done this way before. And so I'm uh, simultaneously really appreciating it, but then also like, but the most obvious trite scene to be having right here at the same time. So it was really when we started getting those flashback scenes in the woods 
where all of a sudden the lights would turn on behind him in the woods. That's when I was like, this is cool. Yeah. This is something I've never seen before. Right. And then it kept going further and further in the direction of something I'd never seen. Right. How it started being fully in that, um, started being fully in that liquor store when he went out the first time. And like you're saying, and then all of a sudden they were incorporating it. You had like the string of, string of lights going right down the middle of the, of the woods and yeah it was Super really cool, cool. in camera practical effects yeah so well done mm-hmm. yeah and usually i mean people know if they listen to this show that i'm usually against supernatural stuff especially in a film like this i would usually be really resistant to that because i want it to be survival i want it to be based in reality more or less but it worked because i just you know as you say it's very well done and exciting um what about I mean, later, and there's a great, you know, switch scene, like, uh, where they, I guess, pull the rug out from under you, and the guy thinks he's seeing his wife, and then you know, you just know in that scene, when when she's, like, all up in his face, that all of a sudden, he's gonna see the monster, and then we, then then we do see it, and that is freaking awesome. And I think what's really cool is how they lend, I mean, we're going full spoilers here, obviously. Yes. I I think what was really cool is what they said, they, they believed it to be a god, and I like how they threw out the son of Loki. Mm. You know, fans, fans of, fans of Marvel will, will Mm -hmm. have at least some idea (laughs) of Loki. (laughs) Right. uh, And the type of character he is. Yes. So, um, not Trickster. that necessarily, not that that necessarily played into this movie, but I just thought that that was interesting that um, that they threw that out there because you're like, wow, and with what's going down here, this is a creature of some incredible ability. This is not your everyday beastly freak. Yeah, mm-hmm. and the, yes, this giant. Yeah, it's a god. Yeah, which is cool because it's this idea of something like Jay said. Sometimes we would think of as like a supernatural mythological force. But now it's physicalized and it's and it's still having this psychological control over the characters. So it's I don't know. I just love that mixing of those worlds. Exactly. So many so many times in these type of movies, you said, is it in their head? Are they really going through this? You know, we had that whole discussion with the with the Babadook. Was it real? Was it in her head? What Mm -hmm. was going on in this movie? It's in their head and real. I mean, this is what yeah. they're going with. It got into their head. It found out how to manipulate them, and that's what it's using. Wow. Yeah. And and, and the thing that my friend uh, Sarah, who's a listener to this show, she said, she said, I think every horror movie should end with um, the protagonist and the monster just screaming each other, screaming at each other at the end, <laughs> <laughs> roaring at each other. With no words. That was really cool because, you know, that obviously that's where you found out that where this thing lives and mm-hmm. um, and then the one character gets gets out of there. I always think that whenever these things are, are done, every sort every one of these sort of movies, even if it's Deliverance or something, you know, where you have some characters who have died, you're like, this guy's going to have a lot of explaining to do to some families when he gets back home. Mm-hmm. And who the hell is going to believe him? <laughs> Seriously. You know, who the hell is going to believe him? Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and I loved, I loved it. I was blown away by the fact, cause I think cult movies are very scary, like religious cult movies. That's mm-hmm. freaky to me. And the fact that this turns into a cult movie at the end is, is truly unsettling. I mean, that, that's amazing. I love that aspect. I also liked how, uh, the lead character, um, 
punch that old lady the same way he punched his friend oh. earlier. <laughs> so just sort of quick jab, you know. It was yes, yes, and um, I really liked the cult stuff. I just wish that that stuff would have been more of the film. I wish more of the characters had survived to that point, so that we could have seen them gone go through that together and have that camaraderie and have that those relationships play out in that setting more and that, that's the kind of thing i i would have liked to see more of in this film more to really feel the pain that these different characters are going through you know because like you've got this character who's a father and a husband and i think he's one of the only ones that is and he just has gone so quickly it's just like use all of that you know right 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 yeah, exactly what about the soundtrack in this i mean i thought the 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 sounds of the chanting in the uh-huh. in the house or, or whatever it was i mean that was i, I like yeah. the animal sounds in the woods and everything but i i uh, i thought their 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 chants their their worship was like very very scary sounding absolutely definitely so anyways uh, anything else you want to say about the ritual no okay let us know listeners what you think of the ritual in the show notes for episode 140 all right well um i think that's about it we hope people will leave comments as usual and uh keep keep them coming be involved in the horror movie podcast community you can leave a comment in the show notes for episode 140 here that's a great way to get a hold of us we're also very active on twitter and uh, also on instagram um we have a horror movie podcast at gmail.com and also a voicemail at 801-382-8789 josh we also have um other older uh podcasts uh before this one uh, we got one called the weekly horror movie podcast from back in the day 2011 2012 era and then we got horror metropolis and those bill shetty on those yes he is yes he is bill Bill shetty is on those cool (laughs) yeah we have um let's see who else is on there so on weekly horror movie podcast we've got uh terror toby we have midnight Corey. And uh, of course, uh, Doctor Shock. <laughs> yep. <laughs> okay, that's hilarious. And then on, um, and then on Horror Metropolis, we have uh, the Wolfman, Josh Legary on there, and it's right. just a good time. Just a good time, and you can where, find where Dave and Josh first met. That's uh, when Dave you met Joshy. Yeah, yeah, way back in the day. So that that's. I was, I was trying to do one Harry met Sally, but that didn't sound good. <laughs> I um, like it though. Yeah, that was fun, good times, and that was also Bill Shetty and Tara Tovey, and you brought in someone else right at the very end there as well, right? Um, hmm. Uh, well, we we definitely had <laughs> guests, but but I yeah, you brought in like a new co-host at the end, babe. I don't know. No, no, it was a long time ago, Jay. It, it was like too long. I was like 2012, if you can believe that. Yeah. So that was a long time. It was six years. Anyways, you can subscribe free in iTunes and leave us a review. We're also on Twitter, like I said. Um, we want to thank Fred Ingram for the use of his music for the Horror Movie Podcast theme song. You can find Fred's music at frederickingram.com. And also, we want to thank Kagan Breitenbach for his his nice reworking of Fred's original theme. It's got this nice orchestration, really cool. Check out Kagan at kaganbreitenbach.com. Yes. Can I say one thing? Um you know what sometimes we'll get new, well all the time we're getting new listeners and it's always fun to hear someone's back on episode two or whatever leaving a comment and be like this is a good show i just found you guys you know um we love our new listeners thank you for joining us uh, the, uh, there have been complaints 
that not all of our back episodes are on iTunes. You know, it only goes back like 20 episodes or so. Mm-hmm. But if you go to the website at horrormoviepodcast.com, not only along the sidebar do we have links to a lot of our cool themed episodes and franchise reviews and versus episodes, but um, Jay created not too long ago an HMP episode archive. That's right on the top search bar. Mm-hmm. What, what do you call that? Across the top. The, the navigation bar. Mm-hmm. The navigation bar. And it's got every single episode right there, just kind of like how it would have appeared in the old version of iTunes before they updated this Apple podcast app, where there's just all 100, at this point, 39, 140 episodes just right there. You can play them on the page. It's nice. Yeah, it's super cool. I like that that feature. One thing I don't like about it is no artwork. Yeah, that's a bummer, but... What are you going to do, right? So, anyways. Anyway, I think that's it here for episode uh, 140. Uh, We thank you for listening, and make sure you join us again Friday after next for Horror Movie Podcast, where we're dead serious about horror movies. And women in horror movies. (laughs) That's right.